hey bros, and welcome to the Backlog Breakdown. I'm your host, Josh, and with me today, I have my co-host, Mr. Nate, and then also, we got a special guest. We got Micah Hendrick on the mics. How cool is that? Now, I'm sure what you're thinking is, why are you talking like some stupid like surfer bro? And it should be pretty obvious. It's because it's episode 69, dude. 420 blaze it. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably all together, like all of my intros, probably that, too loud. That, that was fine. That was fine. It was fine. It was that fine. Was fine. Yeah, fine was to fine. quite fine. Oh, nice. Okay. okay. I'll, I, I, I'll go with that. I was going to go was with the, the house is burning down around me fine. But <laughs> uh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't blame. But, I figured that was the most uh, family friendly version of that joke that I could as, do. As soon as um, you said that your opening bit was going to be involving the title, I was just like, no. <laughs> oh, no. Where is he going with this? We're going to have to cut this entire bit. I was like, bit. usually I'm the one who goes too far. What are you going to do, Josh? What are yeah. you going to do? I'm just a fan of Bill and Ted. That's all. It was a Bill and Ted reference. That's all. That's all. Hopefully you like 80s movies like Bill and Ted. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, was... you could have done like, it was the summer of six or that. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that, was that Smashing have. Pumpkins? No, they had an album called. I'm not sure, but uh, I went with Bill and Ted. So yeah, I, mean, that's I, appreci- I appreciate the sense of network <laughs> sentimentality. Brian Adams was the summer of 69. Yeah, that's, that's uh, Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know why <laughs> I always think. Wasn't theirs like seventy three or seven? That's what it's seventy. The, yeah, yeah, it's the number. Sorry, that that was stupid. Why am I doing that on the microphone? Uh, <laughs> oh, nineteen seventy nine song. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Like. Anyways, so uh, welcome to another episode <laughs> of the backlog breakdown. Like I said, we have special guests, Micah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here, Micah. We just gear solid. Oh, yeah, I didn't even add that in there. That's awesome that you remembered. Today, we are going to be talking about one of our favorite walking simulators ever. But before you, you stop the episode, uh, we've got some some more before. It really is It really is a good one. Uh, I, I say I know people make fun of walking simulators, and I'm just kind of using that term just because just you get an idea of what it actually is. Uh, but we've got reasons why we enjoy this game so much we were talking about uh how we how i recently played this game and mike was like dude i need to get in on this so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what we're going to be tackling and, here and we 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 always enjoy uh him delighting us with with his presence on the mics mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. dude i uh i feel like i have a unique perspective on edith finch that um yeah i just i love that game so much i adore it it's one of my very very favorite indie games ever so yeah very happy mm. to chop it up. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. And chopping we will be doing here in just a little bit. Before we get into that, um, Nate, how you doing? It's been two weeks, man. How you doing? It's been two weeks. No, not again. There you go. I, you know, you, hey, you open that door, mm-hmm. like like I've said yeah. before, mm-hmm. I just step right right through it yeah. every That's time. Every time. Uh, it, pretty good. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was, I was sort of, uh, before we start recording this this part, uh, I did say, like the incredible, like Bruce Banner, you know, the secret to the Incredible Hulk is like he is always angry. You know, my my secret is I am always exhausted. Hmm. Um, it's just been a really weird season in the United States Postal Service. We've just been 
kind of busy and just every time see normally around this time uh sort of things die off because like the the post christmas sort of like fever pitch is sort of like tapering off and it just mm-hmm. we've never it's like every time you think like oh like hey okay like yeah things are sort of like dying down it's like nope yeah i'd, but, I'd assume between stimulus and covid like that's probably not going to happen anytime soon no it, it's, it's just, just going to keep being insane yeah it just it yeah i don't want to complain but i'm going to do it anyways uh <laughs> So like, I don't want to sort of, and and this is nothing new to anybody who's been listening to the show. Like I'm not sort of trying to besmirch the efforts of like really like the healthcare workers and everybody else who's really been on the front lines of sort of like the COVID stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Not trying to sort of like diminish the sacrifices those people have made. What I will say though is like, man, like I have a pretty physically demanding job and it's not just like the United States Postal Service, but FedEx and UPS and just delivery right. people in general. Yes. In a lot of ways, like for lack of a better term, like I'm looking at these are the unsung heroes of sort of like the COVID pandemic, the year that was 2020. Because like mm-hmm. nobody is really saying like, hey, you know what? Like, and it's like, it's not to say that I don't have customers, but it's just like, it's always like you always hear about the nurses, you always hear about the doctors, you always hear about like, you know, the EMT workers or cops or who, you know, you always hear about somebody, mm-hmm. but it's like nobody ever just says, hey, you know what? Uh, the the FedEx guy who has sort of been like dropping off like all the crap and, and the UPS guy and my mailman who's been dropping off all the crap that I've ordered from Amazon and mm-hmm. walmart.com or target or Best Buy or whoever, like those guys have like been, been like consistent and faithfully like sort of keeping everything sort of like moving. And, and I want to say this too, like in a way, I think it's very good. It's good for me personally, because it's really like sort of challenging me to sort of adopt or sort of conform myself to sort of a, a posture of servanthood and be like, no, like mm. I, I, this is really like, you know, one of the things our, our Lord calls us to be is like servants. And so like, I am stepping into that, but it is also hard at the same time because it is just sort of very thankless um, mm. at times. <laughs> uh, I've already belabored the point, but yeah, so there's that. But weather has been, it's, it's, it started to actually get cold. It was kind of mild for a while. That rhymes. Yeah, I'm a poet, and I didn't know it. <laughs> um, but then, uh, and, and here in the next couple of weeks, so by the time we record our next episode, I'll have sort, I'll sort of be in the midst of it, I think. Uh, but we're going to be doing the facelift on the kitchen, so we're gearing up and sort of getting everything ready for that. And uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. You know, I'm going to break protocol here, Josh. I'm going to see okay. how Mike has been. Yes, because. He's he's our special guestist. He's the bestest guestist. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I'm I'm not the best, um, <laughs> but uh, I I have been doing lately. Um, <clears throat> no, uh, we've been we've been going through some struggles personally in mm-hmm. our in our family. Um, my uh, my mother in law has been in the hospital for the past five weeks with COVID. Mm. Oh geez, and is essentially recovered, but is just got a long road to, um, back through like therapy and everything and walking and everything. Excuse me. She's not that elderly. She's like, um, 58, 59. Mm, Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, uh, other than that, that's been sort of like consuming a lot of our thoughts and stuff. And, um, 
just a bunch of things. But uh, outside of that, uh, things are, are really awesome. Um, yeah, just I, I've been, you know, I think I've talked about it before. I have a job of which I work from home, you know, doing all this quarantine stuff. So I've been, mm-hmm. you know, this March will be a year working from home. So I'm still just rocking that. And it's been, thank God. He's got, he's got himself on those sweet PS fives. Yeah, I do. Got me. I did. I did. I was able to snag a PS five. So that was nice. Got a little demon soul action knocked out. Um, but, uh, yeah, doing good. I really, really can't complain. The Lord is good. My oldest is, uh, my oldest daughter's turning 10 on Wednesday. Oh, so wow. yeah, excited about that. That's, uh, making me think all sorts of thoughts <laughs> about being old, but uh, yeah, um, uh, life is good for sure. Nice, that's cool, man. So, well, now, Josh, right. now tell us how you have been over this past fortnight. I've I've been all right overall. It's been good. I did end up getting sick um, with just like a cold. It wasn't anything serious. But I did stay home. I, I it, so it was right after the uh, the holiday, the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so that th- that Monday, I was starting to feel scratch in my throat, but I didn't think much of it. My son, it, it was like a bad allergy day. Cedar was crazy here. Um, so so both uh, Ollie and my wife had some allergies that day. I figured that's all it was. But then I woke up Tuesday and I felt bad. So stayed home, played video games, just kind of like lounged around the house. And then Wednesday, I was feeling a lot better, but uh, my wife, I, I, I woke her up in the morning and she was like, you should probably just stay home because you're still a bit sniffly. And like, I don't think anyone would appreciate being around that, especially right now. Uh, so like, if you can work from home, that'd probably be a good idea. So thought about it some more and, and that, that was probably a good idea. So I ended up staying, staying home those two days. I, I was like working from home on that Wednesday. But anyways, all that to say that um, like that week was kind of weird because then it was only like a couple days at work. Yeah, it, it was it was yeah. just weird. Um, but it did end up. I I spent a bunch of time playing video games. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't all bad. But it's always frustrating when you're. I don't know. I don't know if it's the same for you. I get frustrated when I'm like, I feel like garbage and I don't want to do anything. And I know there's stuff there's stuff to be done, but it's hard for me to do it, and I don't like that. So, yeah. mm. um, but like. There's a point at which even video games is just like, ah, like I'm frustrated. This is all that I can muster up right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- th- that's the only thing that comes to mind outside of that. You know, I uh, started up my classes again. So I'm in week, start, about to start week three of the current class that I'm taking. So that kind of like piles up and, and stuff like that. But it's been good. It's like, I'm I'm great. There was just a little bit of a hiccup with getting sick and. That's really helps out weeks. that backlog golf score for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I was like, I didn't want to play like my long form games that I'm playing. Uh, we'll get to that in the backlog report. But I didn't spend very much time with those, so I started pouring time into like some short games, and I knocked out a few of them. Um, and it's crazy because like I didn't mean to. You know, we talked about backlog golf, like or or backlog beatdown. Like we're not going to go crazy with it this year, and like I've already beaten a bunch of games. Because they're all like, like either I was at the tail end of them or they're short games that I was able to spend some time with. Um, yeah, because yeah, the other one, and again, I'll talk about this with Backlog Golf, is that I was, I was playing a game on my phone while I was doing an online focus group thing that was like nine hours long. Uh, so I was able to knock that one out pretty quickly. 
So anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that, which actually should, should we do that now? Yeah. Is now a good time to do that? I mean, we, we could, uh, we could dip into Micah's favorite line of querying. Uh, what did you eat? Oh yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. G what'd you eat? What'd you eat? Um, me? <laughs> I'll, I'll go. Uh, I had okay. um, like roasted sausage, like, like you know, like a mm. long thing of sausage you get in like the hot dog aisle in the grocery store, you know, like, uh, like okay. some, um, uh, I don't know, like Johnsonville or something like that. I don't know. Like cut them up into little dials, roast those uh, with some mm-hmm. uh, little, um, little uh, yellow baby potatoes or whatever they were. Mm. And then um, had some veggies, had some fried okra, had some carrots. Ooh. Uh, it was it was a real good meal, yeah. Nice. I, I like that so, fried okra, man. That, that like I, when I was in basic training, and it was the first time I had ever had it. I was in uh, Fort Jackson in South Carolina, and I had fried okay. okra yep. in the mess hall, and I was like, "What is this thing?" And people were like, "Eat it, it's good." And I was like, <laughs> "I ate it, and it was good." And so <laughs> yeah. like it's it's like one of those like Southern comfort food sort of yes. things where it's like yeah, totally. I I dig some fried okra. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And je- if you I'm haven't jealous. had it, it's like weird to describe because it's like stringy, but also slimy with big, uh, you know, like seeds in them, almost like half the size mm-hmm. of like a pea or something like, but it's fried. So it's fantastic. So yeah, yeah. it's weird. It's <laughs> so it, good. It, 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 yeah. So it's good. like one of those things, like I tend to be a pretty picky eater, but mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I like it. Nice. And, and it's nice. not something that I see up here above the mason dixon line yeah so. yeah it, yeah it's, it's definitely oh, a southern man. thing yeah um, i guess it is so we had my uh younger sister came over she was hanging out with the family like all day when i got home from work she was here and w- so we had uh dinner together so it was all just leftovers most everyone had spaghetti leftover spaghetti that we had and, and broccoli mm. i had leftover taco soup so mm. if you know what that mm. is yummy mm. yes it was delicious i can get down on that even though it was a hot day. Yes, yes, show. it was. Yeah, it was like mid-70s today. Uh, yesterday, it started yeah. getting warm, but it was rainy, and so it was this nasty humidity. But today, the sun came out, and it was bright, and sun, and so like it was fantastic. I didn't take a jacket with me to work. You know, It was like a t-shirt and jeans, and it was awesome. Yeah. So, Very cool. But, yeah, taco soup was great. Nate, would you eat? Would, would you eat? I, would you, I cheated. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, you Gross. got to talking about leftovers and I'm just like some, some culinary ideas, like for, mm-hmm. for people this week. And this is not what we ate tonight, but uh, Megan made me some meatloaf cup in the cupcake mold thing in the muffin tin, like Interesting. little mini meatloafs. They cook like way faster. Um, yeah. They're really good. So she made those. Um, but then we also made a, uh, non-bread pizza like non-bread um oh okay okay from, like you, get, you like saying... you can buy like n-a-a-n right right um yes like but you can Indian. buy it yeah you can buy garlic non-bread from like mm. the aldi's uh the the one grocery store up here and uh we we made non-bread pizzas we put some red sauce and some like cheese and it's really super good that I mean, sounds fantastic. Numbers. So tonight we had uh, some stuffing, but then we had basically stuffed chicken breast, but it was this, uh, it was like a broccoli 
and cream cheese and shredded cheese and some like you, we chopped up we have like one of those slap chopper things where you like you put the vegetable in and you just you whack the handle and it chops it up pretty fine mm-hmm. and so we mix that all together and then you roll we had these really like sort of thin chicken breasts and you roll that up and you throw that in the oven for like a half hour or so and it's it was good nice was dude good. very good that's awesome so, when you said non-bread pizza i was thinking like a pizza without bread Correct. so i was like that's what, not you pizza just that's just cheese put and red, like yeah mozzarella on, on cheese like what, I mean, are, what are you talking about let's let's be like i'm gonna i'm gonna be cheese, real right? guys <laughs> i'm gonna mozzarella mozzarella stick i'm gonna wrap that in pepperoni and i'm gonna mm-hmm. dip it in in hot red sauce and i'd eat yes that. i would eat that yes oh oh definitely i would eat that i would not say that that's my dinner though like that's that's something you munch on that's don't, not don't a, underestimate Nate un, don't underestimate my powers dude it's like hmm. you underestimate my but, power but it has to be without it's non-bread so there's no breading on your cheese stick that's just like a, a yeah i didn't say like, non-breading i said non-bread non-bread yeah okay a- anyways yeah so at this point in time now that the the, the okay. customary line of questioning has been, <laughs> you know, fulfilled, we've got reports to report on. Reports to report on. Hey, Micah, you came prepared, dude. We oh, didn't I have to say anything. Work. <laughs> always. That's always. awesome. Well, do you want to start us out then? Like, oh, why like, not? There's there's not even like a two week thing for you. It's just like what have you been into recently? I can just say all the games I played the last six months. Here we go. <laughs> Game one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was saying before in the uh, in the bro hang that I've been sort of knocking out some uh, quicker, smaller titles, mm-hmm. um, playing a few older games. But uh, one of the newer games I've played that was uh, really interesting was the Pathless, um, mm. which is. I, it's, it's the latest game from developer Giant Squid, who developed the game Abzu, the underwater ocean game. And then, oh was, wow, um, they are um, um, uh, former developers of that game company and worked on Journey. So a lot yep. of that same pedigree there. Um, so this is really the same kind of game as sort of that art adventure puzzle sort of game. Um, big really? emphasis on exploration hmm. and puzzle solving. This one has some boss fights, but they're all. They're not all the same. They follow the same template. Uh, the bosses are all different, have different attacks and these sorts of things. But they they feel a little samey because they're um, somewhat repetitive in the way that the they're sort of um, the way that you get to them, I guess. Um, okay. But uh, it's a great little game. It's about uh, I don't know five, six, seven hours. Um, Austin okay. Wintry is back do, composing the music. He's super good. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is. Uh, Nate and I always talk about the. Uh, AIAS Game Maker's Notebook, and he's one of the uh, hosts, him and Ted Price and Robin Hunnicke, uh, uh swap out hosting duties. And Austin's always uh, interviewing like the, um, you know, composers and stuff of games and this, this sort of thing. Anyway, Austin's on this game, does a fantastic job. Um, <clears throat> yes, it just scratches that same sort of journey uh, kind of itch, really quality game. Um, enjoyed that a lot. I think that's for. Uh, Apple Arcade and PlayStation and uh, I guess PC. I'm not sure where all it's available exactly, but it's out there. It's um, on. It's on the Apple Arcade. I think That's so. Interesting. Do you think yeah. it would be a good time to play it on there? 
I have no idea. Okay. Um, I, I have no idea. Strange. I feel like I heard someone talking about it on Apple Arcade, but maybe I'm. I'm kind of curious to that. see how that like. I don't know if I want to plunk down the money for well the PS4 and the PS5 version. If you buy one, you get the other. There's kind of a part of me that kind of wants it if it goes on sale or something. Maybe see pick it up and see see what it plays like on the PS4 because that game looks all sorts of interesting to me. Yeah, it's like got this timing sort of like the main mechanic is you have a bow and arrow and you're shooting these little targets that are spread all throughout the world and that's how you get your momentum and move fast is mm-hmm. you sort of time it up and you sort of get this rhythm and this flow of of uh you're really just kind of gliding across the the surface and then you get this well you have this falcon the whole time that you can um or eagle that you can sort of glide on like uh like link or something in, in uh, a zelda game but yeah it's it's a solid title for sure um also booted up Metal Gear Solid 3. Uh, mm. We've mm. been talking a bunch about, you know, the Top 100 episode had a lot of Metal Gear talk, and it just got me thinking about it and thinking about Metal Gear 3. So I went back and bought the um, the HD collection uh, for the Xbox. That's the only way I could uh, play it. I bought an Xbox mm. 360 game in 2021 digitally. Uh, <laughs> so I <laughs> thought that was kind of uh, weird. But anyway, Metal Gear Solid 3, yeah, that um, – it – uh, it, it holds up for the most part. Um, it's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, mm-hmm. So just sort of put that out there. But we're, me and Nate were sort of talking a little bit beforehand about the control scheme. And that's where I've got to say, like, it's just it's hard to defend the not the controls themselves. They're smooth and they work and it's everything's good. But like the, the scheme is what's wrong. You know, the, the fact that you have to hold down 17 buttons to first person shoot a dude in the head, you know, is, is not right. Hmm. Um, Nate, were you about to say something? Well, I was going to say too, like there are times where like it gets almost like tank controlly a little bit. And like, there's just some weird, weird decisions. And, and again, I, I think it's like you and I were talking about it. It's like, I just need to sort of acclimate myself to the controls, but there was like definitely some like awkwardness up front. Where I was just kind of like, man, this is like, wow. Yeah, and I kept struggling with. So I played the game originally when it came out, came out, and it had the kind of traditional Metal Gear over the head sort of camera view, and then Metal Gear Solid Three Subsistence came out, which is like a re, whatever, back on PS2, and it had a different sort of modern camera view that you would expect in a modern third-person hmm. kind of game. And so I kept struggling with which one I wanted to use. And I think that maybe played into why I was having some controller confusion because i had played the original way back in the day but then was also trying to play this new way um so that may have played into it but anyway can you um, change the 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 camera pov yeah 100 percent. oh cool it, it's set to the modern one but i think you can go back to the it's called normal view i think is what it's called in the game hmm. option menus um but uh like all the voice acting in the story all that still holds up and is really excellent um, I had a blast playing and kind of going down memory lane. Um, the boss is a boss. She is just so, <laughs> so OG. I, I love her. She's one of my favorite video game characters like ever, period. Um, just her whole arc. Uh, so yeah, MGS3, classic. Um, I picked up, because I just had a random itch for it, I picked up Katamari Damacy Reroll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love Katamari Damacy. This is a remake of the first game or a remaster or whatever. Uh, still super hilarious. I was laughing out loud still. 
um, still as zany as ever. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's Katamari Damacy. It holds up. Um, have y'all are y'all Katamari fans? Mm-hmm. I've yes, I've I played that one. Um, no, it wasn't last year. I guess it was uh, during the original backlog uh, golf. Uh, but I did play through it. It took me a while to get the the controls down. But after that, definitely like from the beginning, like the the story and the, yeah, it is wacky. It is na, weird na, in a na, good na, way. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Katamari is super funny. Um, the the kids really enjoyed me. Uh, enjoyed watching me play that one. So yeah. they didn't get into it themselves, but uh, but they were they they love watching that one. Um, and as far as the video games goes, the last one I'll mention is I downloaded the new um, the demo for Resident Evil Village that mm, just kind of okay. announced yeah. and dropped the other day. So since that was kind of some really new, new hotness, I figured I'd talk about that real quick. Um, that game's real pretty. <laughs> um, okay. it, it, it's, it's called a, a visual demo. There's no combat in it. You're meant to walk through oh. uh, some some environments in the game, and there's some story stuff that happens. Um, um, maybe 15 minutes long. It gives you a good taste of uh, kind of what's going to be there. It feels like a great mixture of Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 7, um, which I Ooh. I both love, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and it feels like Resident Evil. Um, I think that was. Some people maybe complained about seven not feeling crazy Resident Evil, though I thought it did. Um, the parts I played of this, it's like I know for it wasn't in this demo, but I know they're bringing back the um, the suitcase sort of inventory system of four, where you can like move your blocks around and mm-hmm. fit them together mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, yeah, that was a, a fun little quick demo. Um, I'm going to play that game when it comes out, and it will probably be good. But yeah, Resident nice. Evil Village. Um, nice. so yeah, I'm kind uh, of I'm kind of like hyped for for it, um, but I am a little disturbed by sort of all the fervor surrounding Lady, whatever her name is. Yeah, and like the way people are just being weird <laughs> is the nicest way to put it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know what sells. Thirsty like, gamers, like you and I. I mean, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, but we both know I, what sells. Here's the um, thing. I I think it's like it's a fine model. But I'm just kind of like, people are like being pervy and weird over this. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, to me, I'm just saying, like, there's no like appeal there to the giant vampire lady. I think to everyone me. was taking back at her size. They're like, oh, she's 12 feet tall. Huh. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's um, interesting. Where can we take this internet? <laughs> the worst possible places. Yeah, but yeah, it's like yeah, the, that character model like, if, and you can't even tell until like I, I was watching the trailers for that, and then she just stands up and she's standing there and like she's standing and it's like her her daughters who are full you know her daughters who are full grown women bug lady things are like normal size and she just is like dwarfing them. <laughs> I'm going. Yeah, she has to like duck through the doorway to get in, like all the way ducking. <laughs> yeah, but Which, anyways, that that game looks interesting. I'm I'm stoked for it. I lo- I like Resident Evil, so yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, Resident Evil is actually probably. I mean, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's one of the franchises that um, I don't know. I feel like all three of us like pretty decently. I don't mm-hmm. know. 
um, to, to like a good degree. I don't have a ton of experience. I played four, loved it, and two remake, loved it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like okay. I, well, that's, that's I, I own good. a few other smatterings of games that I just haven't played, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to get into seven because it looks like a true horror type game. But yeah, it's scary. Haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, as far as reading goes, the uh, I feel like this is just like the hotness book right now, and I've been it, was, it looks great to me. So I start I cracked open Gentle and Lowly mm-hmm. uh, by mm-hmm. Dane Orlin right here. I'm sure you nice. guys have seen this going around. So yeah, I'm only just a couple of chapters in, but it's uh, it's it's really really good. Um, let me hold on. Let me find a couple of things I wanted to read out of it real fast. But it really, just the book is kind of uh, chopping up Matthew uh, chapter eleven, um, you know, twenty nine through thirty, where he's you know talking about you know like my yoke is easy, you know, I'm and gentle and lowly in heart, um, take my yoke and all this sort of stuff. So he's using that kind of as the as the sort of kickoff point, and um, it's it, like I said, I'm not too far into it yet, but. Uh, you know, just talking about the heart of Jesus and how, you know, out of all of these chapters, there's, there's really, that's the only passage that kind of directly talks about it. And um, one part he re- he says here in chapter two, he says, uh, talking about some of the things of, of Jesus, you know, uh, but he says, uh, but the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way that the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is earlier in, the, in chapter one. Um, so I'm about verse 28 of Matthew 11. Uh, verse 28 of our passage in Matthew 11 tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. Quote, all who labor and are heavy laden, end quote. And you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Um, so just some some really kind of neat reminders kind of along those lines. Um, you know, thinking about how, yeah, like every opportunity Jesus had where there was, you know, uh, whether there was a leper sick or, you know, just uh, whatever the case that they were, you know, dropping people through the roof. Like Jesus was always, as soon as he had compassion on them. Mm-hmm. And and he went toward them. He wanted to heal it. He wanted to correct it. He wanted to make right. You know, it's like we have, you know, sin and death and disease all around us, and it seems so natural. And one of the things he talks about is like that's that's unnatural. Like Jesus is making things back to its right natural order, you know. And um and that's one of the awesome things that that, you know, obviously the ministry of Jesus does. But um yeah, don't have a whole lot of commentary on it, but it is good so far. And um I know Adam uh, Sutherland, mm-hmm. TRG, was recommended on their last episode, and um, nice. so yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's good so far. Um, also, have been reading. Uh, I went down a rabbit trail. I got this book for Christmas. This um, art of Spider Man uh, or Spider Man: The Art of the Game is what it is, and uh, it's kind of weird to talk about your reading an art book, but it does have plenty of. <laughs> Uh, stuff in there to I just like crack it open for like five or ten minutes where I like fall asleep in bed even though it's completely unwieldy in bed it's a it's an enormous book <laughs> you, but, you, uh, you open it up and it like smacks your wife in the face <laughs> no <laughs> but no that's just I, I, I love Spider-Man it's one of my favorite games of all time and so I just mm. digging into some of the design uh, of the art and everything is great so any of those sort of books like that they're um really nice high quality print and mm-hmm. and you know these full page illustrations from these concept artists and and things like that so um yeah enjoying that i've i got that and i got ghost of tsushima 
art book in the mail the other Ooh. day and uh maybe some other ones uh, i might be getting soon too i don't know i got my eye on like control and uh, they just released a or there's like a pre-order for control art book i was like mm. i might have to get that <laughs> anyway that is what control i've been or self-control mm. <laughs> <laughs> the latter sounds a little better maybe but yeah that, that's what i've been playing and reading nice how about you nate Which all right you? Uh, as far as reading, I have uh, sort of been reading through Anna Kay a little bit more. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, that book is, uh, I've decided that uh, when I'm done with that, I'm actually going to sort of sidestep into, uh, I'm looking at it right now, On Reading Well by uh, Karen Swallow Pryor. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and because uh, I, I think she's a she's a pretty smart lady and I'm I'm kind of interested. Like, I want to cultivate better reading habits. And not just when it comes to fiction or, you know what I'm saying? But, and I just mm-hmm. like, and I, and I think uh, I've read some of uh, Dr. Swallow Pryor's uh, essays and articles and stuff. And I think she's, she brings a unique insight to literature and sort of approach to literature. And so uh, I'm kind of nice. like, I'm kind of, in, I'm kind of in that, that headspace anyway. So it'd be interesting to sort of like, you know, uh, keep rolling on that but uh been sort of ticking through psalms and proverbs uh you know sort of keeping along with that basically a chapter a day so i'm up to the 25th chapter the time of recording uh the 25th chapter of, of each one of those and man uh my my pastor has often said like you know we sing psalms and hymns and and, and you know we sing some contemporary stuff too but uh, mostly contemporary hymns uh but anyways we 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 have the the new trinity psalmer psalter and hymnal that's what it is okay. mm-hmm. i c- couldn't i was like psalmer does not sound right anyways <laughs> um and so we sing psalms and jared will often sort of remind us and encourage us that in a lot of ways like when we are singing the psalms we are singing the songs that jesus sang because that's what the psalm book was hmm. it was they these jewish children were taught these songs and they sang them and I've always had like a really affinity for the book of Proverbs. So I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole in this thing. And and I'll we all know that I'm really good at being bad at brevity. That's kind of our, <laughs> our thing. But I think you know, and, and I think in the last couple of episodes I have sort of like just sort of like calling people to spend time in Proverbs and saying like if people haven't done it. Here here's the thing is like a lot of times we we sort of ask the the question what would jesus do you know or that that was the big thing like years ago in evangelicalism the wwjd and stuff and it's like mm-hmm. and but when it it's talking about the the christ growing in wisdom what he was is he was the man who he was the good son that we saw that we see talked about in he was the wise man that we see talked about in proverbs and it's like if you want to sort of see what faithful, obedient Christian living, like God honoring living looks like, spend time in Proverbs. Like write that stuff on your bones, like treasure that because like this will show, like this shows you practical outworkings of, you know, what your life should look like through the process of sanctification. 
And it's, it's not, you know, there are challenges in there too, like, you know, cause we're all foolish at times, but it's like, I just look at it and say like, you know, this is the wisdom that Jesus sat under and studied and knew and embodied. And in, in some ways, like, you know, I don't want to sort of oversimplify, but if, if the Psalms were the songs that Jesus sang, Proverbs is the wisdom that Jesus lived. And mm-hmm. I really, like, I, I really have been enjoying my time back in the Psalms. That's, that's sort of like home for me, you know, in the, in the, it's, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible and I can yeah. just hang out there a lot. But so been doing that. And that's really, as far as reading goes, I've, I've been reading some articles and stuff, but nothing of note. I have been listening a little bit more to that uh, rhythm of war by Sanderson. It's just, okay. that's, high fantasy shenanigans uh <laughs> now uh, so and and i i thought like it might be helpful since we are in you know sort of in the midst of the backlog beatdown 2021 season uh, i thought you know with the backlog report i'm going to sort of introduce i'm going to start rattling off my score uh okay. so yep. as it stands i started out uh not so great i bought a game right from the get-go uh, I can't even remember what it was, but I did spend money on something. I'm seeing, oh, uh, Risk of Rain 2. I, I bought that because of the co-op elements and that's stuff like I play co-op games with my brother and with Parker and pretty much I played co-op games with anybody who, who would want to, but picked up Risk of Rain 2. It was on sale. It's supposed to have fairly decent co-op, so snagged that. Uh, so I was at plus one, but then I recently finally sort of rolled credits on dragon quest five and mm-hmm. without going too far down that rabbit hole that is top three dragon quest for me it is nice very nice. good uh it did i do think it suffers from some pacing issues and i mean you and i had talked a little bit about it josh like i think the fact that there's there is a a cast of characters but it's not as fleshed out as other Dragon Quest games. Like it's not as where okay. So if you look at four, the one right before this, where it's like the mm-hmm. vignettes and like you had these very sort of like well, like more fully explored characters, and 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 that happens to a certain extent. But a lot of the, the sort of auxiliary stuff is filled in by like the whole monster mechanic thing, monster taming yeah. mechanic thing, which is fine, but. But it, it has a it has a really great story, um, and there's some really crazy moments, some real real highs and real lows with that. Um, yeah, we yeah. were sort of talking about earlier. I don't know if that was in the bro hunt. Yeah, we were talking about like games that I'd love to see. I'd love to see this get like a really nice remake. I, I think oh, like dang. It, it could be really uh, pretty solid. But then. In preparation for this episode, I did go back through and replayed, sat down for a few hours and replayed What Remains of Edith Finch. I cleared out the remaining trophies and I 100%ed it for another negative Boom. one, which didn't take long. So now I am sitting at negative one. <laughs> nice. Um, so, and I mean, I'm playing a couple, couple other things, still playing Remnant uh, from the Ashes with my brother and with Parker. Uh, Micah, you know, 
you and I are sort of like, I picked up Metal Gear Solid 3 as well, and I've been playing that on my Vita. And then the other day I picked up, uh, and I'd sort of been playing this before, but it's a, it's a bit of a Metroidvania sort of, it's supposed to be a much more condensed experience, but it's called Gato Roboto uh, on Switch, G-A-T-O Roboto. Um, mm-hmm. I am super white, so I can't put any, like, I know El Gato means cat yeah in spanish but that's uh anyways so and it's about a cat in a robot suit so um but i've been playing that so it's and that's been fun um but um just oh one last thing um i did in an attempt to sort of should probably actually speak in the mic more often instead of looking (laughs) away at my notes but uh I did reinstall the Versus app, that that, uh, that memorization okay. app. So, um, because with the new approach to memorization, it is helpful to just sort of pull out chunks of scripture, and you know that's that's a helpful little tool for sort of learning and refreshing on those chunks. Nice. So, how about you, Josh? What have that's you cool. What have you I- been playing? I have one quick question because okay. you said you finished Dragon Quest Five and you didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't you, we talked in the bro hang about how you don't like to watch TV ever at all, ever. Um, but I, I do have a question: Are you gonna? Are you planning now on watching the Dragon Quest Year Story? Yeah, I, I mean, Netflix. you and I talked about possibly rolling that into a bite sized or something. So something. So cool. yeah, I'll watch it. I've heard I'm it's. Curious. I think I think the words that you might have even used to describe it to me are controversial, virtual. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. It's it is mostly a pretty good adaptation of the story, and then things happen. So, <laughs> and then it's not. Oh, right. Yes, <laughs> and then there's yes. a part where it's very not exactly. And then, uh, uh, and then the Ludo narrative goes out the window. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyways, you'll, you'll have to experience it for yourself. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, but cool. That just, just curious if you had done that yet and jumped in there. Not yet. Not yet. But now that I've played it, it's, it is sort of open for. You can see why it's held in such high regard, even though it didn't make it over to America, you know. But, yeah, it's but, it's a fantastic title. Like yeah. it it really is and it's it is a shame that it did you know, we did not get that one. That's one of the mm-hmm. ones that until, you know, a few years ago sort of it's cuz it's a DS game. And uh but yeah, and I was like 4, 5 and 6 I think all got DS re-releases or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yep. I, yeah, four and five were Super Famicom games, um, and then four got remade because that was a Famicom, and then it came to America uh, mm. as well for the NES, and then all three of those got DS remakes in the Super Famicom engine, or maybe there was another re-release for PlayStation, if I remember correctly, and that got like an update from those Super Famicoms, and then that got ported to the DS, and then we got those three games, four, five, mm. and six, and they all got uh, alliterative um subtitles as well at that point chapters of the chosen hand of the heavenly bride and then i don't remember six because i haven't played six Mm, but anyways it's it's 
It's on the tip of my tongue. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, didn't mean to, to jump down that whole uh, Dragon Quest hole. Anyways, so what have I been into? Like I said, I have played a bunch of little games. The, the games that I had already started, kind of the long form games that are going to take me quite a while to get through. Uh, I haven't played much of played a bit of Final Fantasy X going through that. It feels very linear here in the beginning of the game, um, which it's it's really interesting to compare it to the other ones because you get like the entire cast at the beginning of the game, which feels weird. I'm used to gradually like introducing them. But even as I look through like older Final Fantasies, well, some of the games do that. It's just that more of the story focused ones don't necessarily do that. So I'm sure they'll get more fleshed out as the game goes on. I'm just still in the beginning of the game. Um, Near Automata, man, I am enjoying this game. I'm I'm not very far into it. I'm maybe like five hours into it, but there is some some <laughs> the, craziness. The vigorous head nodding from Micah. Oh man, yeah. I love Near Automata. Yeah, a uh, naked guy showed up and you kill him, and then he he splits into two. Or there's another version of him that carries himself away. And yeah, I don't know what's going on. But there, uh, there's no game like near is, <laughs> is so special. Yeah, I I understand that you play through it the first time and then you pl- can play through it again and it recontextualizes a lot of the game. So I'm looking forward to that. I I re- I enjoy the gameplay quite a bit. Um, it's open world. Man, it just it it the whole package comes together really well. Like just this idea of this post apocalyptic sort of Earth. And the music is so good. Yeah. And like, it's still pretty simple. I can definitely see that uh, Platinum worked on this one. But I'm still early in the game, so it's still fairly simple how to do things. But I'm having fun just exploring and looking around and like knowing there is so much here that I don't understand that like will be explained later kind of a thing. Um, but enjoying it, enjoying the characterization too of these robots. I'm, oh man, uh, the whole phrase uh, glory to mankind that everyone says yeah. is just like, there is something here that I don't get. Cause me as a Christian, like I get like as robots, their creators are humans. So glory to mankind is sort of, I, I don't know, at least as far as I can read into it right now is this phrase, like we say glory to God and they're saying glory to mankind. And so like, part of me is just like, it rubs me the wrong way. It's kind of blasphemous. But at the same time, it's like they're they're saying glory to their creators. I'm assuming is where it's coming from. Could be wrong on that. I don't know. But the, yeah, there's there's so much here that I don't understand. But I am really enjoying what I have played. Just haven't gone back to it enough. Um, so there's it, a lot it's there. Very meaty. I, I'm sure you probably know, but um, it's not even just beat it twice kind of game. And that's not even quite mm-hmm. even putting it the right way. Just put in about 30 to 40 hours into it. Okay. And, and you should have rolled credits several times by that point. <laughs> and gotcha. It's, uh, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, depending on how much it hooks me, because uh, I'm, I'm loving it right now, uh, but depending on, you know, how much more of it that I can take, I do want to try and get more. I, I knew about the ending that you uninstall the OS and you die immediately and you can get an ending that way. And I went ahead and just did it as soon as I could just to get an ending on my little ending <laughs> list. Um, yeah, but I haven't, I haven't had anything like spoiled. I just heard that you could do, I'd heard, you know, you can get credits super early in the game if you do that. Yeah, whatever. So I just did it. 
Um, so yeah. maybe I'll end up getting all the ending. I don't know. I don't know how stupid, ridiculous it is to get all the endings. So we'll we'll see. Um, I still have a long ways to go. Still in the beginning, but I was, my kids I actually pulled that up fishing. on HLTV, so and mm-hmm. yeah, it's only like twenty five for right? for just the main story. A single, they're playthrough. calling right. like twenty one hours. Okay, um, main plus extras is about thirty seven and a half. It has down on here on HLTV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which and I'm kind of looking at this and it's like I I am sort of rolling off the the Dragon Quest V, which that's the other thing I really liked about it. Sub forty hours to play oh, the yeah. game, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, and even looking at like that that thirty seven and a half hours to to sort of do all the the main stuff plus the extras, I might be putting near on my list of games well, to play it, this year it's just so it has a great first impression i feel like josh in the first mm-hmm. two hours you, you you basically go through four or five different gameplay genres oh oh yeah the first like genres. half an hour yeah mm. yeah it, well definitely the first hour and i had said this on the previous episode because i played that i had played the demo before which is basically just the first hour of the game so i'd already played that so i knew a, a little bit of what i was getting into but yeah, it, it does that so well, and the transitions uh, to and from were really good. It makes you feel powerful because it's somewhat easy, um, yeah. but it, it eases you into, yeah, the different gameplay styles, and it feels really good because it's still fast-paced, even though it's not super challenging. I, I found myself getting caught in the progression of, of that game and really like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to get the more the, the next best stuff and like, you know, yeah. get all the, yeah, I found myself, I can't remember what all you or earning in that game, but um, it's been a while. But yeah, I found myself very addicted to just like getting getting my character better and like getting more stuff. And yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a fantastic game. I'm digging it. Like I said, we'll see how how far I go with it. Because the only other thing is that I have so many other PS4 games to play. Horizon. I've got Neo. I've got Yakuza Zero. Like got Code Vein. I've got a yeah. ton of PS4 games, and I just got the Yakuza remastered in Neo Two. So like, I need to. Anyways. You're, you're on a good one. Yeah, it, right, right. And it's like, so long as I can stay with it and not be enticed by the other things, um, I will continue on. And I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, so on to the smaller games that I played. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on the bro hang, just mentioned the game, but I played through uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon just because it was a shorter game. And actually, full disclosure, what happened is that I got hooked in... Um, Man, there were some some crazy deals going on, and I bought the Castlevania Anniversary Collection. It was five dollars. This is like eight different Castlevania games on Switch for five bucks. Like mm-hmm. that is a screaming deal. So I went ahead and picked that up, and then I was like, I have this Curse of the Moon game, which plays like an old Castlevania game. So I'll go ahead and play this, and it was really good. Um, my favorite Castlevania is Castlevania Three. Well, outside of Symphony of the Night, like you can't be that one. Um, but the out of the like the classic style Castlevania games, I really like Castlevania Three. Curse of the Moon is basically like based on Castlevania Three, and so it plays just like it. It has kind of you can play different versions. Like you can play without knockback. You can play. Um, I, I think there's a way to make it so that you can like move in the air so that you're not like tied to the arc of your jump. But I played the the regular way where it does feel like an NES game. And it's just really good. I mean, think like Shovel Knight in the way that it's it looks very 8-bit, but it's not really. Like there's a lot going on underneath the hood. Um, and this is that t- 
type of game. It's nice and short. It's only a few hours long. It provides a decent challenge, uh, but it does have additional modes after you beat the original game. You can switch between your different characters. You can choose to like kill those characters and get different abilities if you want to. There's there's a lot that you can do. It's a nice short game, but there is a lot there uh, that, that if you replay the game, you can play it in very different ways to make it feel different. You can make it almost feel like a Ninja Gaiden game, which is crazy. Um, so I, I was really impressed with that, especially because I paid like five bucks for it, which is awesome. Um, so that was a really fun game played through curse of the moon. Uh, after that, I still had that Castlevania itch and that's what, after I got sick. So one of the games in the Castlevania anniversary collection, Castlevania four, I had started back on my, uh, super NES classic and I never beat it. So I figured it's the same title. Like I won't get any points for playing it on the anniversary collection because I already own the game. So I'll just go ahead and play this on my Switch. And I played through all of Castlevania, Super Castlevania 4 for the Super Nintendo. Um, I will say, because it's it's a different context, you know, like, it, it wasn't as amazing as I had heard that it was. Although, when you think back, like, this was an early Super Nintendo game. Like, yeah, I can I can see why you would really enjoy this one. It's like one of the easiest classic Castlevania games. It's still difficult. Like maybe I'm just a horrible gamer, but it's still a, a pretty tough game. Although I played most of it in the over the course of a day, a day and a half. So it's kind of my fault for trying to kind of brute force it. If I put myself back in the context of when I played Super Nintendo games on my CRT TV, you know, as like a preteen teenager, then like I would have memorized this game, you know, after dying multiple times and going back to it over the course of, you know, years kind of a thing. And I would have gotten it down. But over the course of, you know, a day and a half, it's a very different experience. So I enjoyed it. Um, I'll just say it doesn't necessarily it, it doesn't it wasn't as amazing as I kind of like expected it to be, but I did enjoy it and I had to remember its context, if that makes sense. The final game was that I played is Game Dev Story on mm. my phone. Yes. Um, I played through a 20-year run of that game. I, I mentioned it a little bit, how I actually was a part of a focus group, an online focus group, so I was on a Zoom call for like nine hours. And so I just had it on my phone right next to the, you know, next to my laptop and nice. was like playing it while I was... Uh, you know, conversing with different people. And so um, I was able to knock that out really quickly. And that was a fun little game. Um, the, oh man, I'm I'm not even sure what all to say. I especially like, I'll, I'll say this. I especially liked how it goes through the history of the different consoles. Um, it I was is, just thinking that. <laughs> it's very clever in some of the, the word. It's very tongue in cheek you know, with the consoles and then also with people that you can recruit. Um, like one of the first people that I, that I hired was, uh, Shigeto Minamoto or something like that. Minamono <laughs> or something. And I kept him on through the entire game just cause I'm like, yeah, it's you Shiggy, better. you know, like <laughs> he's the one, he's going to develop some awesome games for me. And sure enough. Um, so <laughs> that, that was a fun little game. It, it's, it's pretty simplistic because once you finally like break through to the point where you're making really good games and making a lot of money, you can kind of keep that train rolling 
uh, towards the end of the game. But uh, it, yeah, it's it was a fun time. So I enjoyed. Now, were, were you trying to get your games to review well or sell better, or what were you? Because you can position your games to kind of be different things or whatever. If I, I'm re- remembering correctly, primarily I was trying to get them to uh, to get the best reviews, and then I was also trying to get the the game awards. I was trying to get that that number one spot. <laughs> there I, you go. Did I either one re- of you ever get the number one? I did. For one of my games, it was like a, a, a like a third or remember. fourth uh, sequel in the in the, and I never named <laughs> my games, so it was pretty stupid. It was like game number twenty eight four, something yes. like that. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, just just because I was you know zooming through the thing, so I did get one. Like most of the times, and it was in like my sixteenth year or something like that. It wasn't even like the very last few. I didn't get it the last few years. Um, but I did get that number one, got that million dollar bonus. Um, I can't remember if I got a full 40 score on any games. I know I hit a 39. I can't remember mm. if I got a 40. Um, and then it was mostly like 36s after that. But yeah, no, it was it was, it was a fun time. Super it was a fun good. time. Yeah, I yeah. love that game. Uh, so that is all that I've been playing. Um, since we mentioned food, I will just say because I had watched it, and this it's been a couple weeks now. Um, Gordon Ramsay has his ultimate cookery course on Amazon Prime, and I had been watching through that for a little while. I'm not much of a cook, but it was fun to kind of see that, and uh, uh, I've I've made a couple things from that. That was that was fun. Um, in terms of reading, I really haven't been like listening or reading any books outside of like school books. Um, but since you guys have mentioned where you've been in the scriptures, I'll say, I can't remember if I said it on the podcast, but this year I'm trying, trying to journal through the scriptures because I got a journaling Bible, uh, for Christmas, um, and call it kind of falling off the wagon or the end of January already falling off the wagon. But that's progressing. So reading through in Genesis a little bit in in Psalms as well. And then this year as a church, we're going through Luke and Acts. Just kind of like the big thing, like all year, that's kind of what we're going to be preaching on in, in like as a church, just going through in small groups and stuff like that. So actually this coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching and I'm going to be preaching on Zechariah's song in Luke 1, the Benedictus is what it's called. And uh, it's it's been really cool just kind of digging into that. I was originally going to be preaching last week with Mary's song, the Magnificat. Yeah, there you go. And so like there was some really cool stuff there and then it got moved over and I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's take a look at this. And just today I was was rereading it and kind of digging into it. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. It's so cool because it's such a... um, such a clear picture of the gospel, like right before Jesus came to earth. Um, you know, I mean, I say that he was already incarnated inside Mary, you know, he was a very young child inside Mary's womb at that point. But it's, it's really cool that Zechariah, after 400 years of silence from God, that Zechariah, that God spoke to Zechariah through an angel and through his period of not being able to talk, like he understood all these things about who his son was going to be as the forerunner of the Messiah. And then the song that he sings when he's able to speak again, talks about salvation through the forgiveness of sins. It talks about um, 
how the sunrise will dawn uh, on the over the people who are in darkness. Like it has some really cool stuff there that I was looking at earlier today. So um, I'm I'm excited, nervous but excited. So that's where I've yeah. been lately. It's good stuff. Fancy All right, schmancy. <laughs> So, uh, we are going to go ahead and turn to our main topic, what remains of Edith Finch. But before we jump into that, we do have a word from some of our friends. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. No, no. That's not true! That, that's impossible! This is such an incredible moment. A memory that will bring joy to the hearts of millions of people for generations. Wait, wait, what? The sort of thing they talk about on the Retro Station podcast. The stories, movies, music, moments that brought us together as a people. That we enjoyed with friends. <laughs> You laugh about this with your friends? My life has been a lie! Exactly. This is wonderful. <laughs> You're crazy! No, everyone agrees this is a truly classic moment. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Did you kill Mom then? Well, I, I'd, I'd rather not talk about that. Oh, I, I bet they talk about that on the retro station, huh? What a classic moment that was when Mom died? Actually, most people thought that was a bit of a letdown. They made memes making fun of it. They, they made memes of Mom? The Retro Station Podcast. Celebrating all those things that made us nerds. And we're back. So, we're going to be talking about what remains of Edith Finch, boys. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it is fair to say that all three of us... Uh, think this is a a strong game a is quite strong (laughs) quite strong strong to quite strong strong to quite strong um so let's let's sort of go over some just real sort of basic information here the developer is uh giant sparrow or yeah giant sparrow this is published by annapurna interactive and it was published for uh, Windows and the PS4 April 25th of 2017. It came a little later to Xbox One July 19th of 2017. And then uh, in uh, 2019, on the 4th of July, it came to the Nintendo Switch. This is a walking simulator slash... Uh, I've also seen it described as a an adventure game. I would mm-hmm. sort of say in some ways too... Uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, without minus sans point and click, but this is sort of has some very point and click adventure vibes. If I can just bust in for just a second, mm-hmm. I will say if that immediately turns you off towards the game, I will say that even though it is very simplistic in you know the number of buttons that you're using, it does change multiple times throughout the game. It is very contextual mm-hmm. the way in which that you interact with the different scenes in the game is contextual. And so it's not just like you're pushing up the entire time there. It does different things throughout the game to keep you engaged, even interactively. 
I typically don't really care for walking sims or this mm-hmm. sort of adventure, like that point and click sort of adventure game sort of vibe. Uh, I, but I love this game. So, and that's because, and a lot of the, the problem is that with those, those types of games, it does get very sort of repetitive, a mundane and just, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and we, we were sort of like poking at it a little bit, but the term here is the, the Ludo narrative experience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, before we go any further though, I do feel like it's fair to just caution any listeners. If you have not played this game yet, stop listening because we're going to go sort of full spoilers because in a, in a lot of ways you can't have a conversation about this game without spoiling it. Uh, Mm -hmm. it, This is a short game, like Mm -hmm. three hours max. And so just stop listening now, go play it and then come back. So there are spoilers ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, going back to this idea that this is, this is sort of the Ludo narrative complete package in the sense that the, the actual mechanics and like the, the way that the game plays is just, it, it caught me off guard. I remember the first time I played Mm -hmm. this a few, like a year or two ago. And I just remember just sort of being like, Holy smokes. Like that. It just, uh, anyways, let's without you know further ado, boyos. What remains of Edith Finch? <laughs> um, a book. This but, is true. Right? I mean, it's a it's a that's it diary. I guess the <laughs> podcast is done. That <laughs> she writes to her son uh, with a broken arm is basically all that remains of her. Um, the, or a two hour, three hour experience. You know, something like that. Um, I, I will also say that I do think the fact that it's so short really helps it out. Mm-hmm. Not that it, again, I, I do think that it, it changes things. Uh, it keeps you engaged throughout its entire runtime. But I think the fact that you can play through it, you can go back to it. I've only played through it once, but you can go back and notice a lot of things that you didn't notice before the way that they're trying to convey the themes um, in such a short amount of time in such a small package really actually helps if they drew this out to eight hours uh, i don't know that they could (laughs) i don't know that it would have the same impact this is one of the richest and densest game densest 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 games uh most dense i've ever played the dentist games um it is just packed absolutely to the brim with detail that is all uh you know, contextual with, with your environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, again, uh, Josh, you said it, if you, if you go back again, you'll find just as much looking at the environments again, that you'll go, Oh, there's that. Oh, that's what this is. And you'll see, mm-hmm. there's just, it oozes that sort of stuff. And you can just spend, you know, 20 minutes just in one room, looking at all the pictures, reading the things, just all sorts of uh, little cont- context clues thrown about every room that are there for a reason. And that's what's so great about it. It's just a greatly, a greatly designed package. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk more about this game than I could about something like Shadow of the Colossus, which is my favorite game of all time, and that I've come on here and talked a lot about. <laughs> There's just so much here. Yeah, so approximately four and- hours worth of talking about <laughs> Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> Which at um, some point yeah. in time, I think we need to just sort of like come back and sort of say <laughs> we have more to say. 
<laughs> we'll just get Wes on for the very end of that episode so he can give a counterpoint. So he can just be like, the last Colossus sucks. It's like, well, you're not wrong. But the rest of the game is awesome. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. But yeah, th- I think density is the right word, though. This, mm-hmm. this, Even in sort of my second playthrough, when I just recently sort of went back through, and that's like my second full playthrough, the, the way that this game sort of works is you are initially sort of playing from the perspective of Edith Jr. You are basically coming back to your grandmother's house, which is this bizarre sort of, there's all sorts of lore and history in that. And, Mm -hmm. but you are sort of experiencing these stories of your family, you know, and, and, and as you sort of go through, so the overarching narrative is sort of like Edith Jr. Exploring the house and sort of, going back through the house and sort of like she finds like the, the different journals and notes and stuff. And when she does that, it sort of drops you into this little bit of a montage vignette kind of mini episode. And then it's sort of, and, and then the whole thing there, it's so, so it's sort of like there are these smaller episodes that actually flesh out the, the overarching narrative of Edith's story here. Well, Josh, I want to get your take since mm-hmm. you've played it, recently for the first time um the first we'll say 20 minutes or so you you going through the woods you approach mm-hmm. the home you figure out how to get inside and then um there's a, a great line that uh, edith says and i can't remember exactly but she comes in and the first kind of main room you're in is the kitchen and she says mm-hmm. it feels like i'm home again or something like that mm-hmm. and it just has this lived in state yeah. And she even describes it as like a it's like a bomb went off and just uh killed all the people but all the everything else stayed perfectly intact. It's like it was just like or like the rapture or something happened. It's just like mm-hmm. everyone just like up and left this perfectly um you know livable space, you know dishes still dirty in the sink, this types of stuff. So like kind right. of exploring the house for the first time and walking around seeing like, Oh, there's all these bedrooms locked up with these peepholes. Like, what were you thinking the first kind of few minutes walking around that house? At first it feels almost like a horror game because Mm -hmm. you see the house off in the distance and you're talking about how, how dense the game is. I was pretty dense because I didn't notice how tacked on all of the additional uh, living spaces were until like later on into the game. Uh, I, I just thought it looked like a creepy looking house off in the distance. So as you're walking towards it, you know, you're going through the woods. It's not, it's kind of typical walking simulator fare where it's, it's, um, it's done in a very artistic way, but Edith is talking as she's walking through this, the, there's the, the text is actually showing up in front of you as, um, letters in the physics of the game. It looks cool, but it's kind of standard walking simulator fare, but then you get into the house. Yeah. It's kind of dark. There is like stuff everywhere strewn you know stuff strewn over the table it looked like they had barely even finished like eating a meal like you said dirty dishes things like that um it it was a dirty house that was dark and so it almost feels like ominous in a sense as you're like walking through a very like tight hallway in order to with a bookcase on one end uh, as you're looking for where you're supposed to go next but the game very um uh, very, I'm trying to think of the right word, but very smartly kind of guides you with Edith's um, narration. 
into where you ought to be going. That basically, if you're wandering around for a while, she'll kind of nudge you into the right direction of like where you need to go um, in a way that doesn't feel obtrusive. Like you still feel like you're kind of figuring it out. Um, and then anyways, I don't, I don't know if you wanted to uh, go into the next place. I'll, I'll just go ahead and go into it because the first room that you unlock is Molly's room right? If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is a young girl's room. And so that has bright colors, right? There's some pink, there's some, there are toys and things like that. And so it kind of eases the tension of like, this is a strange and mysterious, like dark kind of house. And then it's like, oh no, I'm, I'm just in a young girl's room, like a child's room. Okay. This isn't like, it doesn't seem as ominous. Mm -hmm. And even when you go into her story, how uh, fantastical it feels, it, it lightens the tension. Which is really interesting with what the game is conveying through that. That again, I didn't realize at the time, I kind of had to wait until the game was over to recontextualize everything that had happened up until that point to actually kind of recognize what the story is saying, like the different ways that it goes about saying that. Um, but it feel you know you turn into an animal and you jump out the window and you look around like it was it 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 felt uh, fun and lighthearted at that point. Mm -hmm. Nate, any any Molly thoughts? Uh, I don't necessarily disagree. Like I think Josh, what you you sort of like early on the game does sort of have like a creepy vibe. And I think like Edith sort of even alludes to that as she approaches the house, how there is just sort of like almost like a menacing kind of vibe. And again, I'm using that word a lot tonight um, <laughs> coming from the house where it's just, it's sort of just, and even walking up to it, it just, it does feel creepy. It sort of, it does like, and this is kind of like the part, like they manage to sort of like forsakenness of that house I think is it's just it's the the whole idea where like it was lived in and then it just wasn't and the the suddenness and the sort of the the severity of that maybe I don't know but so I think that that's because it even coming back to it on my second sort of like full playthrough yeah it kind of it's spooky in in the the uh the beginning and I think you know and thinking about Molly's room, it is very much almost a necessary counterpoint to that mm -hmm. sort of the weight of everything. Because even the way that you get to, and, and more is revealed about this, the way that you get to Molly's room is going through Walter's room, which is abandoned and sort of emptied out except for the the passageway stuff, which we'll, we'll double back and talk about that. Talk about that. Mm -hmm. It, but Molly's room is sort of yes, it's it's pink, it's bright, it's cozy, it's a little sort of like shot of life, and it sort of takes the edge off of a lot of the. I don't know, just it take it takes some of the edge off. But mm -hmm. I think, and, and then you sort of you get to Molly's journal, <laughs> and I, I was about to say the edge comes right back. The edge oh. comes right back. Yeah. So you have the part where you become an owl and you're eating rabbits whole from this really kind of bothersome viewpoint, like your POV, oh. like swallowing this rabbit kind of. Well, it's really quite. Uh, it's gorgeous. disturbing. 
Yeah, a, a little bit, and then you know you become the tentacle. Uh, you know, uh, the, well, you start out as the, on the ship. So the, the the context here, boys and girls, is Molly. Molly's it's a journal entry, and you open up, and she basically she did something, and she got sent to her room without any supper, mm-hmm. and she wakes up, and she's she's journaling all of this, and she wakes up, and she's hungry. So she goes over and she has like a gerbil cage. She eats the gerbils, dried carrot. And then she's walking around her room and she's just like looking for things to eat. Mm -hmm. And then a bird sort of like chirps at her window and you, you sort of, you follow the path back out to the, this other window and you turn into a cat and then you sort of chase the, the bird around the house a little bit. And from the cat, you turn into an owl. And then, yeah, there's the whole, you swoop down on these rabbits and while you're eating the rabbits, it is very, you know, and I, I've used this word before for other things, but it's a very visceral experience where it's like you are from the point of view of this bird and you're devouring these rabbits. Yeah, all, all narrated by Molly at the time, you know, mm-hmm. it, it accents, you know, she describes swallowing them whole. And these sorts of things, and how it's just her hunger is insatiable, and um, mm-hmm. she she keeps on going. But anyway, you know, it sort of culminates to kind of continue where you left off, Nate. It sort of loops back around on itself, where she is the tentacle monster. She comes up through a pipe out of her toilet in her bathroom, her bedroom bathroom, and then sneaks into her bedroom under her bed, and is the classic monster under the bed waiting to kill you for a child. And she closes her journal entry with, um, you know, I know he's under there. And no, she says, I know I'm, I am. I am under there and I'm very yeah. hungry. I'm just waiting for me to fall asleep. And I was yeah. going like, oh, I was like, because we both know that I'm delicious. Yeah. yeah and I'm going. And, and, and so <laughs> I think, yeah, I think they put one of the kids up front, Molly, as one of the one of the children deaths up front to, to sort of. It, you didn't quite know what was going on yet. Maybe it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. all these people are going to be dying. Um, well, and, and maybe it was a little uh, uh, the way that they did it. Maybe it pulled it off a little bit more um, with a little bit more class. I don't know. Uh, there's another one that we'll go into another child death, but that's I a don't lot more know. interesting. I feel like, but mm-hmm. I didn't know. Well, and it's and just even coming like coming back to the second time, but my initial playthrough. I did not know that I was going to be sort of like reading or learning about all these deaths in the family. I thought it was going mm-hmm. to be more sort of like you were just going to get these little slices of life from the family. Yeah. And it's like, and, and, and here, you know, and again, full spoilers here, people. So if you're still listening and you haven't played, stop now. <laughs> but Unless you want to like completely uh, If you spoiled, want it spoiled. But, but all you know. of us would highly recommend that you actually go play the game first because it is supposed to be an interactive experience before you sit down and think through it. But yeah, so otherwise it's not going to have the same impact. But then these vignettes are all basically the final moments of these people told sort sort of through some radical interpretation. Yeah. It's like there's slivers of truth in each one of them, but all hyper um, uh, fantastical. Yeah, um, it's uh, and I alluded to this in my little write up that that I have on GG and Facebook is that it is the uh, literary version of the unreliable narrator, where you don't know what's true and what's false about what they're saying about their experience, 
And you don't recognize that until the end of the game when you see what actually went or why they are recontextualizing these events. Or I say that it's not even necessarily them because, yeah, we're in full spoiler territory. As we see, this is Edie's interpretation of these events. Like these are the stories that are passed down in the family because they tell themselves that we have this curse. And so because Edie is the one kind of telling these stories. Anyways, uh, we don't have to go into all of that quite yet uh, because there's a lot more of the stories if we want to tackle each one of those. Um, But it is really interesting at this point. At what point, I, I don't quite remember, at what point does Edith say that the family is cursed? Doesn't she say that right off the bat? Probably when she's walking around about the midpoint after uh, maybe Walter's underground uh, escape. I feel like she's walking around outside a lot and talking a lot to herself. She says at one point, like, maybe it's, um, I don't even need to be, but maybe these stories need to die with me. And like, I don't need Mm -hmm. to be perpetuating them, basically. She says something like that. There's Mm -hmm. some commentary Um, about how like one of the first things that was built even before you know the house was completed or whatever was a cemetery and she's like it's weird that's right she's like it's strange but it's it's when they moved to america wasn't it right yeah so that, that odin really comes is into, the one yeah. who moved to america literally put his house on a boat mm-hmm. and it didn't quite make it, it made it like 99.9% of the way and then about a hundred yards off the shore, it's it's just sunk there, yeah. and it's it's for the everyone to always see. It's never cleaned up or anything. Everyone cannot see that failure, so to speak, or that part Until of that. Until the curse. end of the game, when you're almost yeah. there. <laughs> Anyways, and, and so anyway, Edie, uh, the 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 grandmother of this whole story, who kind of survives everyone, is the daughter of Odin, and is kind of the first one to sort of establish the cemetery before the homes even built, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so Molly's one of her children, um, and then so she got several others: Barbara, Calvin, Sam, and, and Walter. Um, Barbara is the next one. Is the next story up next uh, after Molly's? This is the one I personally is my least favorite to play. Okay, but it's it's one of the more meaningful as far as um, Evie's nefariousness. I mean, uh, Edie, not Evie. Um, Edie's nefariousness. Okay. Um, and just how she sort of perpetuated the the family curse and everything, uh, but um, I don't know any thoughts about Barbara's. That's the 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 kind of pulp comic, you know, Tales right. from the Crypt style. I thought the yeah. the presentation for that is probably one of my favorites, like the, just the okay. the style. But <laughs> yeah, the story's tough. They're all tough stories, though. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like I I did enjoy it until I understood what was going on and then it's like, oh, this is really messed up that they yeah, would real dark. tell a story of this nature well, about I, someone that actually died. Yeah, I'm going to have to bite my tongue about uh, Edie for a minute. We'll, we'll circle okay. back around to her at the end, I guess. But um Calvin is up next. That's the one with the swings. Um so he had a twin. It's mm-hmm. Calvin and Sam oh, yeah. twins. Um, Sam is the father of Dawn, who is uh, Edith's mother. But anyway, so so Sam and Calvin. Calvin is on the swings. Uh, we Edith gets to a Rocket note that man. basically is from Sam's perspective, talking about Calvin's you know desire to want to fly, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's um, it's a very sort of passionate note about that and how nothing was going to stop him and everything. And so 
any thoughts, Josh, about Calvin's? Uh, so this one is where I kind of noticed some things that it's funny at the time seemed kind of lazy in terms of like creating the game world. It's like, okay, this is kind of ridiculous because at this point, you know, you've played through Molly that feels very fantastical of like, okay, is there some sort of like magic going on here that she's able, cause I didn't know, you know, I hadn't had it recontextualized. Like there's some magic going on there. Hmm. I don't really know what was going on in this. Yeah. This pulp tales from the crypt story that was happening. Um, but, but it did have something grounded in reality because I did notice like the broken, uh, railing there as you leave her room. Um, but with Calvin, I felt like, okay, this is a little on the nose because even if it was kind of ridiculous that there's this swing above a cliff. Okay. I'll put it that way. Ding, 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 ding. Um, and, and so that's where it's funny because at the, at the time I was just like, like, come on guys, like you're, you're going too far with how ridiculous this is, but it plays back later of how, of, of the family. And it tells something about the family in general. That was my thoughts on that. And that was where I really got this feeling of like, they are trying to tell a story, a dark story with a light tone if that makes sense and they're they're pulling it off but it's like everything that i'm seeing is not going with the words that are being spoken right now if that Mm -hmm. makes sense like that's where i really felt like there's something unreliable because because the other two were so fantastical it was like there could be an element of supernatural here that i'm just not seeing seeing this one is more like "Eh, what what like no, this doesn't add up. And again, at the moment, it well, felt again, like it's all from the perspective of whoever's writing the note that Edith mm-hmm. is reading. So in this case, it right. was from the perspective of Sam, who had a lot of admiration for his twin brother. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, in the first case, Molly, it was her diary that you're sort of reading. So you, you get it; it's contextual based on whoever's writing the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to Lewis's, but you know, it's from the perspective of the uh, counselor, and that yeah. kind of all comes through. That's we'll get there. Good grief. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Nate, any Calvin thoughts? Uh, I almost want to double back to Barbara for a second too, because I think, you know, Barbara was basically murdered and her Mm -hmm. brother, Walter was a witness. He he saw it like it, (laughs) it, it, oh man. And then, and that explains his story. That one just, uh, that one, like even, even though I knew what was coming playing through that. And I was just sort of thinking about this as we were talking and I just like how just jarring in so many ways. I think like, yeah, visually I, I love sort of the premise, like it, because it is sort of like given that sort of comic booky feel, but then with Calvin's. Yeah. So you start up, you, you, you work your way through the room or whatever, and you get to Calvin's room and, or Cal or Calvin and Sam's room. And, you know, there's, it, and, and it's, it's, it's these twin boys and one wants to be a soldier and one wants to be an astronaut. Uh, Calvin wanted to be an astronaut. Calvin wanted to fly. Sam wanted to be the soldier. And there's like these murals and little paintings and there's little stuff like, uh, I don't know if you noticed, Josh, there's notches on the door. Um, there's a picture. Like like measuring height. Yeah. There's, if, okay. if you okay. look at the door, there's two little boys. One's mm-hmm. dressed like a soldier. One's dressed like an astronaut. And there's notches. And okay. Calvin's just sort of like, stop. Mm-hmm. 
I, I remember, and it, it did it to me this time too. So in order, like you're, you're on the swing, right? And mm-hmm. in order to get your legs to swing, yeah, you have to swing, you have to use both sticks. And mm-hmm. I was just using yep, the left one and I was yeah, going right. like, oh, right. okay. Um, but then Same here. Yeah. The, the whole thing is like this game, more than a lot of games, actually sort of like got like reactions from me physically. And sort mm-hmm. of like, so the whole premise of this is like you start swinging Calvin back and forth and back and forth and higher and higher and higher and higher. And then he loops around and it's like, you're building up to that moment. And when I, I remember that first time and it's like, I was like clenching physically while I was doing this. And even though I know this is like sort of a simulated thing that i'm experiencing mm-hmm. or w- witnessing like my i am physically reacting to this like when you get to that point and then you swing back and i'm going oh no oh no and i knew yeah. what was coming but then like on that final one and you just start going and going and mm-hmm. going and then it's just like he launches himself out to sea and it fades to black mm-hmm. and but like man that was yeah, I wasn't even thinking about like the weird, like what kind of weirdo parents put a a, okay. su- a swing on a branch facing a cliff. I was just kind Cause, of like because it does have a little fence, but it's handmade and it's a crappy little fence. And also, that fence could impale you if you fell. On it <laughs> right. <as well. laughs> if, if you didn't right. quite make it to the cliff, to the ocean cliffs, the, yeah. the fence might. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you mentioned you mentioned Barbara, and I'm taking us back for a second too. Is is do you mind if we dig into that a little bit, or should we should we circle back? I want to dig into whatever you want to dig into. Okay, because Barbara is the one story that sticks out to me the most that I don't know exactly what happened to her. You guys are saying that she was murdered. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. think she was actually killed? Because what I got from it was that she fell from the rafters somehow, and then the the boyfriend ran away how did you guys take that oh yeah excuse me you might be right about that it was her that fell from the rafters not her boyfriend right Th- well, that's no. how i took it so the the premise of the be. story is okay so it's set up like the pulpy sort of crypt keeper you know mm-hmm. kind of thing and w- like she barbara used to, was a child star mm-hmm. and she had this scream and that was sort of like her thing and as she got older it sort of just whatever anyways she gets an invite to some sort of convention fan convention and the Mm -hmm. the whole and so she's practicing and she has this boyfriend and he's helping her and it starts out it starts out there's an accident and her father sven cuts his hand on a table saw Mm mm-hmm and has to be taken to the hospital. So her mother, mm-hmm. Edith, or senior, takes Sven to the hospital and leaves Barbara at the house with her boyfriend and her brother, Walter. All yeah. right? Yeah. So at one point in time, there's like some weird sounds coming out of the basement. The boyfriend, I don't, his name is not relevant to the boy. Yeah. He goes into the basement and... She's waiting for him and waiting for him and waiting for him and he doesn't come up. So she goes down. And that that's like the whole creepy sort of like oppressive vibe. You go down there mm-hmm. and then 
at one point in time, he pops out and he scares her. And mm -hmm. she ends up hitting him in the face with his crutch and breaking his nose. Um, so he okay. has to leave the house. And when he, and, and the whole time too, there's sort of this like, it feels like a radio drama sort of like, where right. it's like talking about these masked teenagers who are out running around and there's a dude with a hook. There's a, there's this crazed doctor with a hook hand who is out killing people, mm -hmm. which sort of feels like crazy, whatever melodrama. Anyways, right. boyfriend leaves, she goes in the house and something happens. And for whatever reason, she hears something in Walter's room. So she goes upstairs to check on Walter, still has the crutch as sort of a weapon. And she gets up there. And even thinking about it, I'm getting such goosebumps. I might not sleep tonight. Because um, <laughs> it's just so creepy. Um, and she turns around and there's a dude with a hook. And he's like, you know, coming at her and she fights him off. And then she closes the door she crawls around and she sneaks up behind him and she brains him with a crutch and he falls off the rafter. He slips on a roller skate and falls off the rafter. And mm -hmm. she's looking at his body down in the middle floor and as she comes downstairs, and the, the game sort of takes over at this point in time, all of a sudden there's whispers behind her and she turns around and there's all these, you know, according to the comic book, there's all these monsters. But it's like... Yeah. The my interpretation of the story is that mm -hmm. there really were a bunch of kids or lunatics running around murdering people and she got hmm. she got murdered and Walter saw that happen. Okay. That that was yeah. just my take on the story, but Okay. Yeah, that that is correct, I believe. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what the that's what the comic book said. It just felt like at that point that it got too pulpy. And so like that was kind of the well the, fictionalized the, the whole monsters like sort of thing is like, yeah, that's sort mm -hmm. of a work of fiction. But I yeah. do think like I think the the sort of the through line is like Walter watched his sister get murdered. And right. that's the, what I was assuming that had happened was she was the one who fell off the rafters. And then her boyfriend freaked out and like took her and left and, and she was, neither of them were ever heard from again. But yes, you're right. I mean, the definitely Walter saw something that scarred him for life. Yeah, it was definitely what Nate said because she found her scream. That's what it was at the end of the comic. She found her scream again because the monsters attacked her. So yeah, okay. that was hundred percent what it was. And that sort of leads us into Walter's because, because yeah. of that, and I guess maybe Calvin's death as well. Um, I can't remember how old Walter was. He's the youngest, I believe. Um, he basically silos himself away in the, um, like underneath the house, like in the basement sort of mm -hmm. like bunker storage area of the house and lives a insanely monotonous life mm -hmm. where every day is the same. And he is petrified of doing anything else and is under, he lives under the house for like 38 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, he finally d decides that, that that he's had enough of it, and he escapes only to get hit by a train as soon as he escapes. Mm. Um, and th there's a lot going on here as well. Either, either one of you guys, if you want to jump in and have thoughts about Walter. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's simple enough. Um, it, it did. Uh, I'm still a little confused about how there could have been a train there at that time. But regardless, yeah, yeah, he he lives the same day 
every day. He's so afraid of the outside world. And to me, because of the stories that he's been told, <laughs> because of the curse of the Finch family, he knows that he's going to die at some point. Um, but, you know, something is going to happen to him. He's going to have an untimely death. And so he's so afraid that he locks himself. He doesn't ever really live his life. And then the day that he decides to leave, he ends up dying. Yeah, I mean, his, I, I think Walters is sort of one of the most straightforward in a lot of ways. But man, like you have to. It, it, it's pretty sad too. Uh, yeah, I'm, whenever we start talking about Edie, I'll go into more of that one for, for Walter. But yeah, mm-hmm. his is incredibly sad as well. I feel like it's just a, a like to me. It's just this kid who watched his sister get murdered or somehow die or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's just jacked up, sort of living under the the weight of this family curse sort of business, and. You know, he's he's lost two siblings at this point in time. Mm-hmm. He's just scared. And so he just moves into this bunker and Well, that would have been three siblings. Yeah, three. Oh yeah. Molly, Barb, and Calvin. You know, I, I was just sort of looking at something. How do you think Molly actually died? From the I Holly. Think, yeah, yeah. I think it was the like poisoned herself basically. The the yeah, toothpaste, the, uh, the durable food, and yeah. she eating the holly berries. I didn't even mm-hmm. like actually, and it's sort of like I thought about it as I was watching, like playing it the second time. I was like, she should not be eating those, yeah, the berries. Like the toothpaste is going to make you sick. Like it's mm-hmm. probably going to make you vomit. Uh, the durable food is just like that's probably not going to be good for you either. But like those would just sort of probably make you pukey. But the holly yeah. berries, it's like, yeah. And so like, and that actually like probably, I think holly berries might be mild hallucinogenic would explain sort mm-hmm. of like the fever dream nature yeah. of, anyways, I just, I, I was sort of reading something and then I was thinking about it anyways. Um, yeah. But Walter, yeah, yeah. I only got that from watching YouTube after playing the game. I, I would not have caught that earlier. Yeah, Walter is, I think in some ways his is the saddest because like on the day when he finally is like, you know what, like I'm going to live, like I can't mm-hmm. sort of be and fear this thing the whole time. And there is all that quiet where the train isn't going by and then mm-hmm. he steps. Yeah, that's what prompts him to get up. And he's like, you know what, it, I'm, I'm going to go do this. And the, the day he breaks through the wall and he leaves which I'm just saying, like, why didn't you just go back up the ladder? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. well that, that's. Uh, let me go ahead and get into that because that's like Edie is. Um, so there might be a curse. There very well might be something there. Mm-hmm. Whatever. But um, Edie used it as a scapegoat and and mm-hmm. a an excuse for terrible decisions and stuff throughout life. So. Mm-hmm. The first child that dies is Molly, which is 100% her fault, Edie's fault of neglect. Now, you could say, well, you know, she's, maybe she's being punished for something or whatever, you know, whatever. She locked her in her room from the outside and said, no, go back to bed. You're not getting in. So it was largely Edie's fault. So instead of having to, like, live with guilt and responsibility and everything else of that, it's really easy to blame it on a family curse. Mm-hmm. And then to keep perpetuating that curse yeah, and to have it, um, you know, she reveled in all that, like the family kind of name being out there. If you look in her bedroom, she's got 
like a framed newspaper thing about where, you know, she's not leaving her house due to some forest fires that are coming around. Like, you mm-hmm. know, some little forest fires are going to scare her out of her house. And she, there was an article about a mole man living under the Finch mm-hmm. house. And that was, of course, about Walter. Walter. Why in the freaking world would you lend yourself to helping out an article that is talking about your sorely scarred son who's living under your house for the past 20 years and you do a write-up about that the 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 mm-hmm. spilling the swing on the edge of the cliff yeah um yeah uh, the, her husband being killed by the dragon comic like why did you make a comic about your murdered daughter and like some of the details in that comic, like the fact that they had to use the key to the music box, like no one would have known that except Edie. So she corroborated this stuff to help make the comic. Mm-hmm. So she is mm. pushing all of this stuff, yeah. uh, the, 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 the curse, yeah, and um, using it as an excuse to just kind of uh, shift the blame from yeah. her daughter's death. I mean, she she's clearly never like worked through that. It's instead it's this idea of like, oh, well this is just how things are. This is how our family is going to be and and like you said reveling in it cuz she also has a, a picture I can't remember if it's framed or not um of when her husband died building the dragon uh slide. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Sven has this dragon. So like yeah. she's not shying away from death. And I've heard some interpretations of where like Oh, death isn't supposed to be this, you know, like horrible thing. But the way that she keeps it around her and perpetuates this idea of like, oh, we're all gonna, you know, we're all gonna, that we're cursed. So we're all gonna have these horrible deaths. So yeah, it's just part of our story as the Finches. And I'm gonna continue this. It makes sense all in the final scene. We're gonna fast forward a little bit when Edie. Dawn and Edith are all having dinner right before they leave the house. And um, Edie sends Edith to the library to get a gift. And you can hear Dawn and Edie arguing in like mm-hmm. another room. And she's like, um, Edith deserves, Edie's saying, Edith deserves an oath these stories. And Dawn's like, these stories is what, you know, so she says something about, you know, the stories have ruined us or something like that. It's like, yeah. these mm-hmm. stories are the problem. And she's like, she, Edith deserves to know. And, you know, so that's why Dawn's trying to, you know, board up all the bedrooms and not get these mm. stories out and these types of things. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, but but anyway, kind of fast forward a little bit there. Um, after, uh, after Walters, we kind of move forward to the next part of the family tree, and that's Sam's family. So mm-hmm. Sam is the last surviving child of Edie and Sam has three children, Dawn, who is Edith's mother, Gus and Gregory. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the first death we see is Sam's, I believe, uh, Dawn's father. They're on a hunting trip and um, he is a, he's a big photographer. So they are playing through like the, the lens of a camera, just taking photos uh, every now and again mm-hmm. and dawn finds a buck uh in her sight she shoots it she doesn't seem like she doesn't really want to be there doesn't want to be hunting at least or didn't want to kill the 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 deer mm-hmm. um and so she's kind of over there at, at, at the body of the deer sort of you know kind of mourning it a little bit and you know the sam's all proud and trying to get a selfie photo and sets up the camera for the timer goes up the hill is kind of next to a cliff as well Turns out the buck is not dead, and it sort of jumps, you know, sort of, sort of like uh, jerks and and pushes Sam over the edge of the edge of the cliff. Right as the timer of the camera goes off to take that final shot of him falling off, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, this one is one of the more, I'll say straightforward ones, I guess. Uh, again, nothing too uh, wild about it, except just kind of the, again, lack of care or just like uh, sort of like you put a, a swing next to a cliff. Why would you just, why would you be up there? Not sort of. Yeah. Like, I think like a, maybe a little bit of context, like, so the, the way this is framed is that this deer was sort of out on this like outcropping of rock. It's sort of isolated, almost like a sort of little cliff in and of itself. Yeah. An overhang kind of thing. Like, yeah. yeah. And so it's like to get out there, it's a, it's a little like, it's a little treacherous or not treacherous even, but it's, it's sort of like precarious maybe. And mm. yeah, the, the whole him just like going up and sort of like Don even says to him like, dad, I don't, I don't think it's dead. And he's like, ah, oh, no, nah, it just, it's just twitching. You know, they do that sometimes and he gets over there and then yeah. through like, I, I'll say from my vantage point, and this could just be me as a dad, um, is that at the beginning of this vignette, it seems like Dawn doesn't want to be there and Sam's just kind of brought her along. But because you're taking pictures, um, and this was what was really tragic and what kind of like hit home for me, is like you see their camaraderie between the daughter and the father and like she kind of warms up to the idea of being there. Even if she doesn't like it, she likes the fact that she's with her dad. And you see that over the course of these pictures. Yeah. yeah. And then he dies. And it's just like bad words. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that one, that one got a hold of me. Like, I'll mm-hmm. be honest. Like that. Okay. That last picture, like, just and and again, I knew what was coming. Right. But it was still like, I mean, like I no, I mean, I knew I knew what was coming, and it's like even the second time through, I was like, man, that sucks. Like these people are damaged. <laughs> like you know. <laughs> yeah. Like even sort of referencing back Walter watching Barbara get killed Mm -hmm. or, you know, or how, however that went down. And then, you know, Dawn's there, you know, her dad dies on this, this, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, man, the, the damage that that would do, you know, is, is kind of just pretty wild. Yeah. Um, well at this point in the game, you're, you're a little over halfway and you know you you know what's how things are going. Yeah. And then the the next vignette is um is this little baby boy named Gregory who's sitting in a bathtub, and your mind immediately goes there. You know where this is headed, and mm-hmm. this is probably the second most impactful one for me personally. Again, as a father, um, this one was rough. I've given Real hundreds rough. and hundreds of baths to my babies, and what happens essentially is that the mother of Gregory, not really important to the Finch family, it's a, sort of a not Finch blood. Anyway, her name is Kay. She is just neglecting Gregory in the in the bath. She's on the phone or something like that. I think meaning to get to him. She even comes back and checks on him, drains the water, and then it, the the tub fills back up. And this is the most juxtaposed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, vignette. I, we keep saying that, Josh, but it's, it's a good word for it. The uh, of the whole game, I feel like um, yeah. such an incredibly sad tale. He is so uh, so. It's told from the perspective of a, a letter of from Sam to Kay, like a legal document, like in divorce proceedings yeah. or something like that. And he's talking about Gregory and how 
like this isn't your fault, all this sort of stuff, and the joy that Gregory always seemed to see in the world. He always seemed so happy, and even in this scene where he's drowning in a tub, he's just enjoying his toys in the tub. He's Mm -hmm. pretending like he's a frog, which is one of his toys, uh, as he's swimming underwater. Oh, my goodness. Incredibly heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, Guys, what, what do you think? Well, and the music is very happy and triumphant as well. Uh, and you're playing your interaction as you're hearing these things. Isn't it? You the, are the little frog. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. That, that, yeah. I forget what that song is, but it's a, yeah. it's like, a, it's a fairly sort of like, everyone knows it. Like, you know, it. like, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody's heard it. And it's a sort of like, oh yeah, this is kind of like it's it's nice and it's it's a little sort of like light and whimsical. But right. Yeah. Right. But you know what's happening and it's like, are you really gonna make me do this? Kind of a thing. And, yes, and yes, they by are. this point in the game, you've already experienced that, you know. like you said, Micah, you kind of you know what's happening because you've been through this before, like it, the game is pushing you in a certain direction. And I think you got to this uh, originally with Calvin. Nate, where like you were forced to do this, right? You were forced to interact in this way. And I think that that is one thing about this game that it could only be effective as a game. Um, as, as a movie, this wouldn't be as effective. The fact that you have to interact in the small little interactions that you do, the game yeah. forces you to do it, which is why it's so jarring that you have these unreliable narrators because you don't know if what you're doing is actually what happened or if it's just, well, if it's just the story that they're, that they're saying to cope with what actually happened. But regardless, you as the player are actually having to, to interact with what is going on. And, and yeah, at this point, you know, it is death. Um, and so the fact that you are just this bouncing, this, this frog jumping around for a while and floating around, and then eventually, as the tub fills up, it's yeah. Mm. Mm. The frog has become say. death. Yeah. Um, a hel- herald of it, yeah. Uh, after Gregory, if, if you're cool to move on, Nate, mm-hmm. um, Gus is uh, Gregory's brother, and um, Sam has uh, so Sam and Kay, the the mother of Gregory, has divorced, and Sam is being remarried. He's got a, a second wife, and the wedding is happening. Gus ain't having it. He ain't having this new wife. He's Mister. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like maybe eleven or twelve or something. You know, he's Mister. Preteen. Screw everything. Um, I'm just gonna fly when my they, kite. When they show pictures of him, he has a mohawk. And mm-hmm. so, like, this is like, yes, this is a very rebellious, rebellious. young man. Mm-hmm. Clearly uh, listening to the Sex Pistols. <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah, in, in this one, basically a storm uh, rages in the at the wedding. If, uh, Gus is flying a kite, and I don't know if it's a hurricane, tornado, or whatever. The storm gets uh, more intense and sweeps him up and you know, takes him out to the ocean or whatever. I don't know. Well... Um, I think though too, like, and sort of like when we're talking about this, like sometimes our descriptions defy even sort of the, there's a bit of beauty even in this stuff. Like I think about the Mm -hmm. fact that like, so as you're flying the kite, like the words pop up in the sky 
and you sort of fly the kite through them and it gra- gathers up the letters in these tails and then you'll fly the kite through stuff and it'll gather up chairs and stuff. And then it actually turns like you fly, you do enough stuff and you, you knock over the tent and they all get picked up by the air and it turns into this like giant mm-hmm. sort of like almost jellyfish thing. And it's a very pretty moment. There's, there's yeah. sort of a, almost a beauty in it. And then. While it's also a destructive force, because I felt like, yes, I agree with you. It does have a, a sense of beauty, but I also felt uh, Gus. Yeah, that's his name. Gus is like angst of, of you know, being pissed at his dad while he's like, OK, well, now I'm going to take my kite and I'm going to smash these chairs and I'm going to move it around and and smash over this tent kind of a thing. So um, I agree. I would say that there's a lot of different emotion that's coming out through this as well. Um, and actually, as I was walking as Edith, I did notice the fallen totem pole. So that was kind of what I took out of it was that the totem pole had fallen on him. Did y'all notice too walking around with Edith that there were chairs in the trees? Oh, like wedding no, chairs, those white wedding chairs. I had oh, wow. not seen that. No. So this family yeah. didn't even take those down. Holy shnikes. <laughs> N- nothing. Yeah. Nothing was ever <laughs> done with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, after Gregory, we're moving on to Dawn's family. Um, so Dawn, uh, Edith's mother, uh, marries a man named Sanjay. And mm-hmm. um, he, he passes away, I believe, too. But not really super important. But anyway, they have three kids. They have Edith. Well, Lewis, I think, is the oldest. And then Edith, maybe. And then Milton. Um, and uh, the story here is that uh, Edie, excuse me, Dawn has a pretty successful uh, life career with Sanjay uh, abroad. Uh, once he dies, uh, Dawn brings uh, her and her three kids back to the Finch house because, you know, where else is she going to go, I guess. And instead of, um, you know, like letting the kids move into one of the old rooms, of course, all the old rooms are boarded up and taken. They just board, like attach on to the, to the old house, like just Mm -hmm. new rooms and just keep on extending and making this monstrosity house. So they have sort of their own living quarters, their own school room, all this kind of neat mm-hmm. stuff. There, uh, there's you can see like um, plants that they're uh, planting and things like that in their little garden. Um, and then you, the the first room you get to is Milton's room, which is this castle, kind of a, a miniature castle that Edie got or built for uh, for Milton because he um, saw himself as a king and uh, he was a big artist. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like an art studio. Mm-hmm. And this is where. If you've played, and this is more spoilers for a different game the called The Unfinished Swan. Swan. Yeah, The Unfinished Swan. That's when you realize that these two games are connected. You walk up, and the first thing that I notice as a player is I notice the mat on uh, Milton's doorstep is the same crown and mustache symbol that the king has from The Unfinished Swan. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot about The Unfinished Swan because I know you guys haven't played it. But long story short. Um, I have it. It's on my list. <laughs> this is the part where it gets supernatural and it's like, okay, maybe there is something to this curse and not just Edie, but um, he obtains this magical paintbrush in which he can um, basically paint himself another reality and then go into it. Now you could say maybe this is schizophrenia or something else like that, but I think mm-hmm. this is all legit and true. Um hmm. it, Well, I, I take that back. It's, it's, it's not like a magical thing, but it's, it's, um, 
Ian Dallas actually has commentary on this. Okay, what you got? Milton is the king, not the protagonist in the Unfinished Swan. Correct. This is correct. And he yeah, considers, so king, and, and Ian Davis, cons- or Ian Dallas considers that to be canon in the Giant Sparrow universe. 100%. Yeah. So um, in the Unfinished Swan, he talks about all these things that are basically once you play Finch, you see like, oh, he's direct. This is, this is Milton talking about his life in the Finch house. And he talks about this labyrinth in the Unfinished Swan that is basically the house. Um, it's this one picture, and it's, it's, it's the picture of his labyrinth. It says, the labyrinth was designed to be beautiful, and it was. It was not designed to be practical, and it wasn't. Whole families got lost for weeks at a time. Mail took months to arrive, and many worried a labyrinth of this size was bound to attract dragons. Eventually, the complaints grew so loud, even the king couldn't ignore them. So he didn't want to live there. He got tired of living there. Milton was bored or just didn't like living at the Finch house. Mm-hmm. So um, in The Unfinished Swan, there is a, a structure. We'll just call it a house. It's not really a house, but a structure out in the ocean. And eventually the king takes residence in that house. Oh. And if you remember at the end of uh, Edith Finch, Edie oh. is walking out onto the beach in that weird mist and fog. She sees the deer, she opens up the gate, looks up at the house, and a light turns on. And it's the same window that the king lived in in this house out in the ocean. So Milton <laughs> is out in the house in the ocean, 100%. Interesting. That's where he went. He's wow. just, he just dipped out. It's like, I'm going to go live out there. So he's alive, I think. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's alive and well in the unfinished swan at the end of that game. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I believe has happened to Milton. So that was for me personally extraordinarily impactful because I had no idea that these two games were attached at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I played the unfinished swan, enjoyed it. I thought it was a great little, uh, very lighthearted compared to Finch. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just a good little game. And then it kicked in that same music. I'm like, what is this yeah i I, like it just i I completely like what am i playing right now well Mm -hmm. um and i think too like the thing is like so in in this in the context of what remains of edith finch though milton disappeared like he just disappeared he was so he was a missing child he was a missing child and so there is no sort of like real tragic death And, and and you know frankly i actually sort of love his little segment because you pick up that flip book and that's the sort of the mechanic and it tells you that that's an interesting like now this definitely makes like I'm, i think i'm gonna install the unfinished one and play it now <laughs> yeah there's so much about it like he gets lost in um some woods in the unfinished one i think that's basically analogous for the woods that's surrounding the finch house you know mm-hmm. where, as you go in the beginning i think he gets lost in there at some point um yeah it's it's straight up uh, just kind of him talking about his life there um but yeah, that that's Milton, and that one was. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and say this now. Uh, this is Giant Sparrow's second game, in which they made a game about Edith. The first game they made was about Milton. I'm hoping they got a third game in the cooker, and it's about Lewis, who is mm. the mo the best vignette in this game, in my opinion. It's um, also that's my hope. It's also one of the heaviest, like. Straight up. So, Louis, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's let's just jump right into this one because you, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. This is probably the best sort of experience in the game. Mm-hmm. Lewis is the oldest brother. 
He's got some psychological problems. And the, the, the way that this is, so you, you, you get up to his room, which is actually a boat. <laughs> in, like a speed boat uh, with a roof. Yeah. Like four stories high. You know, yeah. like at this point, it's, it's crazy how tacked on all these different add-ons are. So yeah. clearly it's, it's, not, it's not structurally sound. No, no, <laughs> not code. No, this is not, not up to snuff. Uh, definitely not within code. Uh, but he, so Edie gets in into his room and she opens up this letter addressed to her mother um, from Lewis's psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And the so and the, the posters in his room basically say 420 blaze it. Yeah, he you know, like, he, he was he was mm-hmm. smoking the electric lettuce. Yeah. Um there's definitely some like substance abuse sort of going on there of some sort. But basically Lewis ends up getting a job at this cannery and it's kind of tedious tedious, boring work where he just he chops off the head of a fish and throws it on the conveyor belt and he just keeps doing this. And he gets lost in his own delusion. And and so the the really trippy and it's like we can only sort of like talk about this to a certain extent. Like we can't explain like the whole like the simultaneous parts of this and how it works. Like so with your right stick, you're controlling his hand as he grabs the fish, takes it over the chopper, puts it on the conveyor belt. But as he's sort of he creates a sort of a distraction in his own mind and he starts exploring these different lands and, and and it's basically the the farther on he goes into this, the more elaborate the, the 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 delusion becomes. Yeah, the world that he's created for himself, where he is the protagonist of this world, and it starts taking up more and more of the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so essentially, what you're doing is you're kind of like uh, Josh has mentioned about uh, brothers to Halo Two Sons. It, it, it makes you with the either with the mouse if you're playing on pc or with the Mm -hmm. right stick you're controlling the fish and with the left stick or the keyboard you're controlling a two-dimensional uh video game Mm -hmm. top-down isometric whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it uh game so it's very simple you can very and the thing is you get your right stick your right hand is just you've got it now at this point you're not even thinking Mm -hmm. about it just like lewis yeah. I'm not thinking about this actually because it's just it's robotic, it's monotonous, it's um yeah. And so you start doing that and slowly but surely the the vision of what he's imagining in his head starts getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger to where you literally can't see any of your workstation. You can see your hand and grabbing the fish. Uh-huh. But that's it. Yeah. You could feel it on the Joy-Cons, I'll say. The music becomes louder of the story that he's telling himself. The, you know, where he's the, the hero of his story. I mean, think of it just like a simple Dragon Quest kind of a thing. Uh, and, and that's, the, well, you've already played it, right? You're not, this isn't spoil. You've already played it, if you're listening to this, clearly. Um, but I will say the, the other thing that I noticed is that even though it is monotonous, it's not like you can time when the fish come out. They slightly uh, delay sometimes when the fish come out sometimes two come out at a time i had four so you come are... out at once wow oh i was so it you... took me back i was like what what, what is this yeah <laughs> so like you can't stop what you're doing you still have to pay like that slightest bit of attention um and it's clear what's gonna happen 
so the whole time, I don't Wait, know about you guys, I was on edge, especially as it started covering that up. There's kind the of screen. like, it, it's not completely clear because I, I thought, I think a lot of players probably think you're about to get your arm chopped Exactly, off. exactly. Dude. Yes, yes. I, I just mean that like that guillotine, like this is not a safe sure. situation. Yeah. And like, so you're waiting at any moment for like something to go wrong. And as you lose mm. sight of the real world, quote unquote, it rackets, ratchets up the tension in a way where your brain is like focusing on three different things because <laughs> you're like, something's going to happen, but I need to keep doing this. But also I need to keep playing this while the, you know, this triumphant music is playing. And yeah, it's. So he, uh, he is fully uh, by the end of his vignette, he is fully pretty much like all he's nominally still involved in the real world. He's fully mm-hmm. entrenched in this delusion and he is walking down this, this corridor. He's met this, the love of his life, whether it's a handsome princess or a beautiful prince, which is kind <laughs> of a weird sort of thing. Um, but you know, I, I'm going to refrain from any commentary there because we don't have, but uh, he goes up and he puts his head down, and as you're walking up this dais, you know the the for me it was the princess is holding this crown for you to be, you know, her king or whatever. And he lowers his head, and you hear the guillotine, chunk. That's mm-hmm. that sh- chunk, and uh, that's how his segment ends. It's such a, the writing is so good, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's, and we all know I'm going to be delicious or Mm. right when the head comes, right when the guillotine comes down, the the writer, the the psychiatrist was like, Mrs. Finch, your son was a blah, blah, blah. It it was just so, it's like the way she concluded it. It's like, you know, I want to, you know, uh, honor the memory of Lewis and everything. It's, It's just so good. It's like, you just have this crazy, like, oh my God. And then. And then, you know, it's kind of back to the psychiatrist's letter. It's like, oh, yeah, she was writing this letter to Dawn. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so, so good how it sort of snaps you back and forth like that and, and sort of, um, I, I, I don't know, I, I just love how entrenched. I was so entrenched in that game and, and every aspect of it. So um, uh, by the time I'm done with Lewis's story, I'm, just, I'm, I'm hanging on every word. And just, yeah, the writing is so well done in that game. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a huge point there, but yeah, I just like that little touch there. And the voice acting is really good. I see. I know, I know you're kind of hoping that they do a, I, I, I I'm not sure what the Lewis game would entail. Like I'm, I don't either. I mean, I, I would either. be, I think that would be like a very cool step to take. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like, and it's, man, they're all sad. You can have a game for each one of them, I feel like, almost. Yeah. All all the characters that we went through uh, tonight, Um, not just Lewis, not just Milton. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I I think there's a, especially when you're talking about two-hour games. I mean, Unfinished One was maybe a little longer with three, you know, it was like 30 minutes longer than than Finch. Um, But... uh, yeah, I just I, I loved um, the 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 care which they handled all of the intricate details of how all the story interlaced and stuff. And so so at the end of the game, after Lewis's uh, vignette, Edie 
uh, excuse me, Edith finally finds her way to her room, mm-hmm. sits down, starts writing the journal, which her son was reading at the very beginning. So on the boat, it's Edith's son going back to the Finch house again to Edith's grave. And um, she writes that last little bit uh, to, to her son. And she apparently dies in childbirth, um, is sort of alluded to, um, giving birth to him. And that's pretty much the end of it. She uh, hmm. kind of gives a little word to her son. And um, it's left a little open-ended. But, but yeah, that's kind of the tall and short of it. Um, yeah, at that point, that... that uh, before it ends, that's where she talks about how Don and Edie had gotten in that fight and Edie was going to give Edith mm-hmm. the, the stories. And so all that yeah. comes out e- and, and Edith is reading Edie's journal about how she went out. There was the light that turned on in the house out in the, out in the water. And then that, I bring this up just because it was such, it was also impactful in a different way of like, Wait, what? Like it didn't even it didn't end because as Edie is walking out to the house, the light turns on and she continues walking, and that's when Dawn bursts in, sees that Edith is reading this journal, and grabs it out of her hands because she yeah. knows how that's affected her family. Yeah, I didn't even quite piece it together fully until like I had played Unfinished Swan and played Finch, and I didn't get it until I went back to Unfinished Swan again. I was like, okay. oh, Milton's in the house, because that's mm. the mystery of Edie's little uh, uh, diary entry there that Edith is reading. Okay. It's like, who's yeah. in the house? She got to yeah. the house, finally. Like, what's low tide? This is weird. Like, you know, yeah. um, huge mystery there. But, uh, you know, they obviously call it there for a reason, because there's another game that explains who's in the house there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, I I didn't know that. I I just knew that it was frustrating, but I also appreciated the fact that they left you with that question yeah. because it shows how much Don was. So so you have the two extremes, right? You have Edie who's telling all these stories to all of the finches and saying that we're cursed, and then you have Don who doesn't want like any of it. She doesn't want her children to know any of it. They don't, you don't share these stories because this is what's going to end up killing you. Um, and, you know, I, I would say there's a bit more balanced take in the center of those, but uh, it, it just brings home like Dawn is like scared of the stories. She's like, this should not be happening. And the only reason that it's, that it is, is because she has to live in the house with Edie. Well, and I think too, there's sort of a question that the game asks and that, I don't know if we're necessarily equipped to sort of address, but like, are, are they suffering from this curse? Is there some sort of like malevolent force that is sort of like hunting them down? Or is it more of just like sort of, they sort of make poor decisions uh, consistently out of their damage, out of their sort of whatever. And that yields disastrous results. Like, you know, it's like, who puts a swing on a tree branch overlooking a cliff? Mm-hmm. Well, th- 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 there's other things too. It's like, it, there's, um, again, context. It's like uh, Calvin had a cast on his foot when he was swinging on the swing. Like mm-hmm. what happened there? You know, like there, th- this is, this uh, is a kid maybe, who's maybe already nothing. sort of been. Who, there's, yeah. you know, there's um, Edith's son has a cast on his arm at the beginning. Like what happened there? Like there's all these, there's all these accidents always happening, mm-hmm. you know, that just, are they, 
you know, actually accidents or yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, who, who lets their, like, regardless of, of it being your wedding night, like who lets their son out flying a kite in the middle of a storm, you mm-hmm. know, like you could at yeah. least. So much neglect, whether it's uh, Gregory in the tub, Molly in the bedroom, um, you, you, know, you know, the story of Barbara, you know, it, Odin, Sven got his, hand chopped off from a saw like yeah okay like oh, so many things it's like, mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah just, and then, then he's yeah. later he later he's killed by a dragon slide right yeah, yeah. yeah that he was constructing so yeah. clearly like he didn't take the right per- and i mean i know accidents happen but like in the context of the story a lot of accidents are happening. Yeah. And that was more Edie embellishment too. In the newspaper article, you know, she right. told the press that a dragon killed him when in fact he fell from trying to build a dragon slide. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think even in Edith's juniors sort of when she's talking, she even sort of talks about that when she's walking through Edie's room, she's like, my grandmother could have told the newspapers or could have said that grandpa Sven was killed by, you know, a collapsing slide that he was building that would, and you know, she basically says, mm-hmm. but she, she said, no, he was killed by a dragon. And so it yeah. is like, it is sort of an interesting sort of question surrounding like the, even the things that we tell ourselves, like, do we maybe mm-hmm. precondition ourselves to sort of fall prey to some of this stuff by, you know, preaching certain narratives to ourselves uh, you know, it's interesting questions, and a lot of it's just like sort of like, eh, this is mostly speculative at this point. Well, but- that that's what I really appreciated about the game is that it is an art game, and so many like uh, versions of like art. Whether whether it's a movie, I think of it a lot of like indie movies and things like that. Um, but some art games as well, uh, they can be so pretentious and up their own butt that. <laughs> Oh, well, it doesn't have any answers. Just whatever you feel, man. And that that frustrates me. Mm-hmm. With this one, I do think there are some clear... Now, I, I understand that some people fall in different... Inter- there are multiple interpretations, but I think that this one is pretty clear in, in the way that you can pick up what actually went on in this family. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, obviously, I didn't know any of the Milton stuff, uh, I I just kind of took that as him running away, but it makes sense that he would go out there. The tide wouldn't allow anyone to go check in that house until you know. So yeah, so like, like that makes. I sense. mean, sort of like to me, I'm sort of like so. You have this boy living in this house, and that's like you know several hundred feet. Like, how does he live? Survive? Does he swim back to the house and sort of raid the? cupboards every once in a while like you you know like there's something more there that kind of like itches that's sort of stuck Mm -hmm. in my crawl for me to like chew on and think on and be like what is going on there but anyways Mm -hmm. that's just i i do think in in what i kind of stepped away with after playing the game and like having my head rocked and being like what what did i just play kind of a thing and looking into other interpretations the way that i said the reason that i really hold this game in high regard is it exemplifies for the player how much our worldview affects our interpretation of the events of our life. Yeah. Right. So as Christians, we can see the sovereignty of God everywhere. Right. 
but someone who who is an atheist w- believes in coincidence you know or sees um tragedy as as just pain and is hardened by the the pain of this world where we can see suffering and recognize that god is in control even if we don't have the answers like we can actually have solace in the fact that our god has taken has promised that that we will be with him where pain will be taken away and that there is purpose in the things in this life and just how our worldview actually um affects us and this game is so visceral in the way that it does that because in the first half of the game i didn't know what i was experiencing right i thought like there was some sort of fantastical uh you know fairyland that these characters are traveling to and that the curse of the finches was really just you know this power to go between world something you know i don't know to affect the wind or you know i i had no idea until it kind of came out towards the end of the book oh know what's happening here in my interpretation which i feel like is pretty clear we don't necessarily have to all go into it because i know we've been talking a while is that because Edie was telling these stories now and we mentioned it earlier the linchpin obviously odin had died because he would like this family clearly is we're a bunch of risk takers and and they say that the finches are Mm -hmm. like they were made for greatness and so they do these great things they're risk takers so they're not considering the accidents that could happen. And um, Odin's death is the first death chronologically. But then when Molly dies, I see it as Edie's coping mechanism that, oh, well, it's this curse. And the way that she views death in order to cope with the fact that her daughter died on her watch because of her neglect, um, she makes death not into a... Uh, a terrible thing, not into a dark curse that's invading her family, but into a, a whimsical uh, that she almost celebrates the death, right? So she doesn't protect her family from possible death. She says, oh no, like death is a part of us as the Finches. And when it happens, it will be this glorious thing that we're all a part of. And Dawn sees that as like, no, th- th- you're crazy. Like, no, these stories are are glorifying death. They're glorifying our our end, you know, and, and the 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 things that we do that are so reckless. Um, so no, you're not gonna glorify that. Like you are not gonna teach my children to be reckless like that. No, obviously, you know, she leaves, but then she has to come back and and so it ends up haunting the family. But I see this curse as nothing more than a glorification of death as a coping mechanism that Edie had, she did because of the death of her daughter. I, well, I would even, I definitely think there's some unhealthy stuff going on in this family. Like you look at the fact that like Calvin dies, Calvin shared a room with Sam mm-hmm. and at no point in time did they just sort of like ever just pack up his stuff and, right. and, and sort of like move on. It's sort of like this, Almost, they memorialize them in the bedroom, not only in the cemetery, yeah, and but in the bedroom, they each yeah. have their little spot, their little that shrine to, to to trigger the vignettes, and yeah, their little shrine, yeah, and they just add on to the house when anyone new comes, so that they don't have to ever put those things away. Yeah, it's like they, yeah. they, at, at the very best possible construction, there there's a lot of like inability to deal with 
death and to, to mo- move on. to mourn properly and to sort of like move through it. It's sort of like almost wallowing in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see that in the construction of the house. Like mm-hmm. it is such a rickety, like terrible looking monstrosity because they Tons continue. Tons of sweet passageways. Hidden <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be right, honest. Yeah. Those, those hidden passageways were pretty baller. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, what, what was the room that kind of like looped around on itself? There, there was one that was really cool. You could only get to it through the passageway, but then you unlock the door and you can go around. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was certainly thought out really well. Um, but I'm saying like the, instead of like building a, I don't know, third floor, fourth floor on top of the foundation, instead they start building outwards onto, you know, like we talked about, like putting a boat on the side of that. Like this is, this is reckless. And yeah. in my interpretation, it's because Edie didn't see death as a bad thing, but as something uh, to like, it was a part of the well, Finch family. It was going to happen. You know, the, the, we were all going to have untimely deaths. And so why take any off of it? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so she, yeah, she reveled in that. Yeah. Edie is the, um, antagonist prote- main character whatever of this game yeah. kind of yeah you know obviously being the one that survives almost everybody in the entire game mm-hmm. um well and that's but, uh, the this sort of the double play where it's like you, you you're really in a lot of ways in experiencing either edith jr's story you are simultaneously experiencing edie's story right yeah and i think that's that the title of the game is a little bit of a double entendre uh, because they're both named Edith. And so mm. yeah. you get kind of both of their stories. Yeah. So yeah, and clever. Uh, and that's at the, the, the very worst possible sort of interpretation. Like you have to admit the cleverness of this game. This game oozes cleverness. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, we're, it sounds like we're starting to sort of wind down here, boyos, but uh, I have a question. So I'm looking at, uh, a, a particular list that we have constructed uh, <laughs> in time immemorial. We we have talked about this game for a while now. So here's 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 the question. Uh, I have two questions actually. Rather, uh, Joshua mm-hmm. does what whole name here, man? Does what remains of Edith Finch merit a place on our list? I I would say so. I would say definitely, yeah. You know, Micah, since you're you're on here, uh, what say you? Uh, I definitely think it should be on the list. I will more leave it to you guys as far as where you want to place it. I think uh, I've already mentioned sort of up front what I think about this game. It's um, in 2017 when there were a bunch of super duper good games. This led the pack mm. for me. Oh wow! Um, it won. It wasn't like my favorite game that year. Don't get me wrong, but it was just it was up there in all these other crazy, crazy good games like Horizon, Breath of the Wild, all these. Right. 2017 was a really good year. Yeah, it was a stacked um, year, man. <laughs> and uh, Finch took home Best Narrative yeah. at the Game wow. Awards that year. The GDC um, Awards. And I, I think it, it, it really deserved it. Um, like I said, the writing is, is pretty top-notch for a video game, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the design, whether it's the kind of vignette designs were just the design of the house. Again, you just talked about all the hidden passageways and the, I think when you go from Calvin slash Sam's room to the, uh, to the, uh, to Walter's underground bunker, like the sort of 
attic kind of thing where it rolls up, you know, sort of, and you sort of go to this other way. Just all that design is really cool and clever. So I I think this game is very, very special. Personally, if it were my 100, it would be in the top 20. Mm, wow. Um, I would put it wow. that high. Uh, but um, that's where I'll stop and let you guys... Well, Take for now, I've I've just sort of plugged it into the list at 101. But <laughs> yeah, the reason so I think this one is very playable and because it's so simple, um I think it's one that's going to hold up. Yeah. You know, I just played it, you know, what 3 years after release, three and a half years after its original release. Um and I think it it holds up. It has a low poly look to it. Um, but like we talked about when, when we first, you know, started this is that it is very dense. And even if you don't notice things, it gives a general feel, right? Like you don't have to read the, the, the spines of each of the books, but the fact that the books are there kind of clue you into who the character who inhabited this room was. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it, it definitely earns a place, uh, in that I, I, I think this is going to be one that ages well. Like it's not going to mm. be difficult to go back to. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily have an idea of placement. Maybe we can sort of like yeah. put a pin in that for now. Cause you know, at this point in time, we, if it does get tacked on what, mm-hmm. what drops out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, journeys at 39. Would you say it's better than journey? Me? That's a difficult um, question. Oh man, that that is difficult. Because um, <laughs> you you wouldn't have. I, this I was game just if about to ask, what are the sort of similar <laughs> games that you have on the list? Maybe um, Spec Ops: The Line at twenty one. A smidge better than Edith Finch, but it's so hard to compare. Like we all know, yeah. a lot of these games. Well, and I was sort of looking at two, like uh, you know, we brought up that Breath of the Wild and Horizon Zero Dawn are sort of contemporaries. <laughs> They're sitting at 34 and 35. Yeah. So that's not a terrible sort of. Man, that's really high though. But I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to scare you guys, doesn't... but to put it that high, that's that's just where I would. It's a, it's one of my all-time favorite games. Is it better period. than Mario Kart 8? <laughs> <laughs> but Sit down I mean, and play this know, game with your family. <laughs> where I know you guys like Horizon and Breath of the Wild, I don't think. I mean, I'm not speaking for you, but I think it should go higher, like 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, compared to those games on y'all's list. If I'm just sort of, that's just my take. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's the, yeah, we don't have to place it tonight. Um, But I would say, yeah, it definitely deserves a spot. Uh, It's, It's, it's one. You know, looking at 21, Spec Ops the Line, man. Oh man, it's I haven't played that one. There, so I can't say. like the some of like Spec Ops the Line is a there's some of that same sort of like mind freaking going on. Yeah, that's um, what I've heard about that game. That's why I brought it up. But and yeah. but I would sort of say there's two very distinct. Whereas like Spec Ops, this is what I'm gonna say without spoiling anything. Spec Ops the Line, just when I was done with it, I felt dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, but what remains of Edith Finch, uh, when I was done with it, I just felt melancholy. So, okay. Um, but I think yeah. that might not be a bad place to sort of look at. Cause I do think this game is way better than some of the other stuff. Not mechanically, 
but just as far as like impact and because like that has to be part of it. So we definitely have some ideas here and things to think yeah. through. And, Sweet. and maybe by the time this episode actually airs, we'll have a better idea of where it belongs. <laughs> yeah, I guess last thing I'll say on it yeah. is sort of um, there's only a handful of games where I could feel like I could sit down and write like a huge um, thesis for. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I could do it for like some of the Bioshock games. Like I said, I mentioned Infinite earlier, mm. uh, Rohang, I think. Um, you know, titles like The Last of Us or this or um, I don't know, just a few. There, there's not very many that deserve like a deep deep dive i think this is one of those games yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that yeah that's a good point and it you know as i mentioned before like i think the fact that it's so short actually helps it out in that and and that's what's so amazing is like i mean we've been sitting here this episode is you know just about as long as the game is (laughs) so uh, the the fact that yeah that we could even do and and you know we didn't take a deep it wasn't super there's still more to be said is all is all I'm yeah saying. so uh, and yeah. that's i mean and that's sort of like and that even that the fact that like you know we've spent basically about two hours sort of going on about this game and there's still more that can be said like i think so i don't know if i said this while we were recording or not but like even the fact like coming back to it and playing it that second time i played it saturday night into sunday morning a little bit and there was just something about the game that got stuck in my crawl. Yeah. Like there's a part of me and I don't know why I would want to do this to myself, but I kind of want to fire it back up and run through it one more time because it just, it is such an interesting concept and it's so, so it's, it's executed just like it just tees off perfectly. Yeah, man. Any, any other final thoughts? I think it took him five years to develop that game. Mm. Wow. Um, which is kind of staggering to think about. It's um, a smaller team, and so y- yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, and so uh, we're about four years since the release of Edith Finch. So if they are going to make a third game, I'm I'm looking for that on the horizon relatively Ooh. soon. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but yeah, nice, uh, nice. Yeah, fantastic I th- game. I think this in it kind of final thoughts. I do think I would highly recommend this game to almost anyone. I mean, I think this is more, it skews more towards an older audience, but not, not in the fact that it's gratuitous, just in that, you know, I would not have enjoyed this game at 12 years old. No. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's more of a think piece, um, but I would highly recommend it. Um, I don't, along the same lines that you were talking about, Nate, how it sticks in your craw. I don't think that a game has caused me to think and affected me as much as this since I played Silent Hill 2. And that was a game that I didn't like playing. Like this one I did enjoy, I actually enjoyed throughout its time, um, but similarly gave me lots of things to process mm. through. Yeah, Silent Hill 2 is not on our list. No, it's, it's not. And it was for that reason that I didn't want to put it on there. Because it's like, can I recommend it? No, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and a, that's it needs it needs a remake. Things, thoughts. <laughs> Maybe for the twenty twenty two edition. I'll tell you what that <laughs> we'll that see. would be a game like if it ever got a remake and the remake was any mm-hmm. good. At that yeah. point in time, like I definitely sort of like yeah, throw it on there because yeah. I think there are parts of that game like it'd be very interesting to see how they handle some of that. But awesome. 
Well, those are our thoughts on what remains of Edith Finch. If you have thoughts on the game, because clearly you've played it if you've made it this far, because if you haven't, shame. Go play it. Uh, but if you do have any thoughts, there's tons of ways that you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is at bbdowncast. You can email us at thebacklogbreakdown at gmail.com. Uh, you can join a, the conversation in the Facebook group. That's the hashtag Backlog Book Club. And we do also have a Discord server as well. If you enjoy what we do, we'd uh, really appreciate it if you rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends. And we also have a Patreon. Just think of it as a tip jar uh, where you can get some uh, additional. Uh, th- things that we produce are bro hangs where we just kind of talk about whatever we want to uh, and all other sorts of content. If you want to see our faces while we talk, we've got uh, uh, video versions of the podcast there as well. Um, and if you want to reach out to any of us personally, uh, on gen- in general, I go by Broccolope online. That's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E. Nate goes by Nate underscore McKeever. Micah. And Mike. Do you have anything to plug? Do you want anyone to reach out to you? What, what do you have going on? Yeah, I've been hanging out on the Twitterverse here lately more nice. and more. I feel like um, at Doug's Vest for pretty much everything. Um, you want to send me a PSN friend request? I'm down for that. At Doug's Vest. Um, hang out in the uh, Backlog Breakdown Facebook group, in the, the Reform Gamers Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, if you want to catch some of my writing, I do uh, yes. some reviews and news over at thereformgamers.com. Um, myself, as well as the Hinch and Dad, Wesley Ray, uh, do some uh, contributions for that site um, to help out Logan over there. Um, uh, just, uh, yeah, we're I, I'm really kept quite pleased with the cadence at which we're able to crank out stuff. Yeah. Uh, Wes is really cranking out some fantastic retrospectives. I'm kind of handling news and doing some reviews when I can. And yeah, it's um, it's a lot of fun over there. So yeah, thereformedgamers.com and yeah, at Doug's Vest uh, on Twitter. You know, speaking of, before I forget too, uh, you know, your guys' stuff over the, the TRG blog, a uh, friend of the show, John O'Spark, recently oh, yeah. published a, a little yeah. bit of a, I don't know what I would call that, an op-ed maybe. He talked, to, he, you know, sort of walked us through some of his considerations and what to play next and um and just how he thinks through that and i thought i thought it was useful i thought it was good and i was glad that uh logan and and you guys decided to sort of throw that up on the page so yeah yeah super good article definitely more beneficial and helpful than most of the stuff i put up there so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yours is yours is fun so you know there's it's, it's maybe it's all all sorts of stripes, man. So yeah. <laughs> but all right. I think Josh, uh, Micah, we 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 came, we saw, and we talked entirely too long. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the the Wenny Weddy, Weechi. I don't know what the Weechi would be there. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we have done more or less what we set out to do. Until next time, Josh, what should they do? You guys keep beating down your backlogs and we'll keep breaking down the benefits. And the final word goes to Jono Spark in the Discord. He shared a meme. Sweet dreams are made of cheese. Cheese.